The news is exciting. A Night of the Seven Kingdoms will be coming to HBO. And even though it'll be a few minutes before the show actually gets made, this calls for a dedicated discussion. Heavy on imagination, but anchored within the framework of The Hedge Knight, a.k.a. the first novella featuring Duncan Egg. The title of this podcast episode is Dreams of Duncan Egg, and it has a many-tiered meaning. We shall be dreaming of how this series will manifest on TV, as well as dreaming how the dreams within the story will manifest. And in turn, we shall dream on those dreams. Ha, <laughs> yes. Dreamception. Yes, that's right. Dreams are, of course, a big part of the Duncan Egg series. Arguably bigger than in other eras, which is interesting because it's a dragonless era, of which Maester Eamon, Egg's older brother, very important, will say much later during A Song of Ice and Fire, quote, I see them in my dreams, Sam. I see a red star bleeding in the sky. I still remember red. I see their shadows on the snow, hear the crack of leathern wings, feel their hot breath. My brothers dreamed of dragons too, and the dreams killed them, every one. Every one, he says. Daron the Drunkard, Arian Brightflame, and Egg, a.k.a. Egg on the Unlikely, Egg on the Fifth. Clearly a major element, dreams here. But also, House of the Dragon has added Egg on the First's dreams to the fold, which then have passed down, sort of. And it seems likely those threads will connect a bit, or a lot. Probably not all at once, of course, but over the course of the series, that Relore Willing will run for several seasons. That is a lot for us to talk about. And we've brought on a guest to help with all that and more on this episode of History of Westeros podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. Yes, we're back. We've got fun stuff to talk about today. Of course, the Hedge Knight's big, exciting news. And Joe Magician's here. How's it going, Joe Magician? This is now, what did we count? This is your eighth time on? We had looked the other day and I... Seven? I, it, eight? It, it, I don't know. You're talking about the other day. It's like, yeah. I, didn't I almost get it right, Ashea? Wasn't that the thing? I like accidentally guessed it. That's kind of why yes. I'm saying eight, because I thought you guessed seven and got it right. So, <laughs> but maybe I'm just remembering Nailed it. <laughs> Although that includes CK, Crusader King's streams, which do they count? They maybe see. yes and no. Maybe half. They, they sort of count. They're longer, <laughs> but they're not. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> we'll spare a few moments for some CK3 discussion halfway through this episode for those of you who have been catching the streams or are interested in the game. Sean, we're wearing nearly the same shirt. Different, same shirt, different colors, right? Ooh. We both have a yeah. Edge Knight shirt on with the shooting star and the tree. I have a Rohan Weber shirt on. Hey, Rohan Weber, represent. And I was going to wear, I have a Duncan the Tall hat, 
but it's too bulky with my headphones. Mm. Yes. I've got my dunk cup, but nice. it's too dirty to drink out of. <laughs> I don't want to throw up halfway through the stream, so we're not it's doing that. It's a dunk cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got my usual right. coffee and water, not tomato juice today. You know, no blood. It's not as bloody of an episode. Wait, wait. Have my tomato juice on stream? A lot lately. Lately. What? Lately. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. Uh, lately. My drink is... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Only lately. I have a protein berry drink mixed with Mountain Dew, mixed with sparkling ice, mixed with... What is it? Nectarine? Nectarine Red Bull? Nectarine. I found out Bang, by the way. That's my yeah. usual energy drink mix, Matt. They got sued for a false advertisement. They were saying that they had creatine in their drinks and they don't. Monster's like, we do. You can't say that and I haven't sued them. And they had to pull it all off the shelf because it, had, it says on the, on the can that it has creatine. That's why you can't find it in the story now because they had to pull them so once they from the shelf through the false advertisement. So once they edit the cans, they'll be back, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, well, that's a red can. Red can. Bankrupt. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> nice. But monsters are ridiculous about that stuff. They sue everybody that has the word monster anywhere in their product. <laughs> they are They're a, ridiculous. Monster, knock it off. They are a litigious organization, aren't they? But don't sue us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They might now. We said the word monster. We're on the list. (laughs) We meant monster, Mm -hmm. like the cheese (laughs) or the character, Mm -hmm. Eddie. Yeah. So this episode was voted on by patrons. We had a Joe Magician certified poll. Did he really certify it? I saw the list. I was like, Aziz, did you just like list my my most viewed videos on my YouTube channel? It's like that topic, that topic, that topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's awesome. We we like to talk about stuff that we're all the most into. That's that's a nice bonus for us today. Next week we're off for Ice and Fire Con, and when we come back, we'll have a, a fresh schedule for the next several weeks. We've got some cool stuff planned, but we're going to keep that close to the chest for the moment. Keep you all in the dark for once. We we often let you know what's coming, but not this time. <laughs> if the episode ends. And you want to stay immersed. We've got you covered with suggestions for topics related to this one. The list is particularly long this time. Dunkin' Egg is, of course, being one of the things that George has written directly and spent a lot of time on. And it's right in the middle in terms of the timeline. It's like 90 years before a Game of Thrones, or maybe like 80, about 90. And about 80, 90 years after the Dance of the Dragons. So it's it's almost exactly between the two main entities that have been developed in Westeros so far. So that's pretty cool. So of course, it has a lot of attachments and tie-ins to other topics and, and things like that. That'll be at the end of the episode. So will the answer to this trivia question, which is how we will start, as we so often do. During the first Blackfire Rebellion, Fireball, Quentin Ball, fought the sons of Lady Penrose, killing all but the youngest whom he spared. A similar event occurs during a Feast for Crows where one man slays seven out of nine sons in duels. Who was this man? And bonus, what house suffered those defeats? Hint, the man, the victor, wields Valyrian steel. No, his name is not Victor. Uh, he uh, was the winner. Are there victors in the Song of Ice and Fire? I think <laughs> that name is lacking. Victorian. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> his name. I see. Yeah. Damn him. No, there is. There is that guy. The He's victor. Always the answer. There was a victor in the at the Red Keep. I think during the Secret Siege. I think in that era there was a guy named Victor, like mm-hmm. a Victor Tyrell or a Victor something like that. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to see it. I was like Victor. I think that's the there first. There is a Sir Victor, victor Tyrell, a distant cousin of Lord Mace. There's also yeah, a Victor Valarian. 
Oh, there we go. Fire and Blood. So there's two oh, nice. Victors. That's probably what I'm thinking of. C, though, for what it's worth. It's a very Stan Lee name, Victor Valarian. Yeah, Victor Valarian. <laughs> <laughs> very, rolls off the tongue, yes. My mind went to Victor Crum. I was like, no, that's Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I was like, Victor Drum? I was like, what about Oh, <laughs> Drum, okay, yes. <laughs> That'd be a good one, yeah. So let's start off with what we know about the show. Out of the possible successor shows, they chose the option that is the most rooted in already written material. So that's a good thing. That's that's always been a huge edge for this option that is now a reality that it had over the others. I mean, the Sea Snake, Nymeria, these are all awesome things. We want to see those. But George hasn't developed those like he's developed this. So this is just starting on a lot more solid footing. It's confirmed. So far, one season, six episodes, quote unquote, most likely per George. So that isn't set in stone, but that seems good. And folks, I want to get your reaction on that right away. Six episodes, on one hand, you could say that's kind of short. But by the way, Sean, you were right. You said it was about a 150-page book. And I was like, no, it's closer to 300. If it's paperback, it is a lot more. But hardcover is 160. So you were like almost right on there. Which makes this point even stronger. <laughs> hey, I was wrong, but this makes this point even stronger. <laughs> is that Game of Thrones, 10 episodes, season one. House of Dragon, 10 episodes, season one. There was a, they covered like 25 years in House of Dragon, season one. In Game <laughs> of Thrones, they covered 900 pages in, st- in 10 episodes. Whereas this is, right, they've got, do the math. Well, don't do the math. It's a lot more screen time per page. Right. So that's that's awesome. So they can really take their time. They can pace it out. They can slow things down, which sounds great. Like it's a different look. We want a variety of types of shows. We want different approaches. We want different styles. Joe Magician, I'll throw it over to you first. What is this? Does, how does this hit you? Well, six episodes actually sounds like a kind of a lot for the Hedge Knight because a lot of it is Dunk's internal monologue. Yeah. Like in terms of what's actually happening, there's not a lot going on there. It's it's like one two days. Is that how much it covers? I, I think it's a little longer, like that? but most of it happens in two days because technically Dunk ends up sitting yeah. there for a while after Baylor's killed. There's like time going back and forth. So to the end, it actually is like weeks. <laughs> but the, almost every ninety nine percent of the story, you're right, is in like two or three days. Yeah. So you could sell me on the idea that you could do the Hedge Knight in like three or four like Game of Thrones is long episodes or something like that. Going to six probably tells me that they're planning to retcon a lot of stuff, that they're planning to put in a lot more of stuff around the periphery, maybe not just focus on Dunk. Hmm. Like maybe show us different parts of the royal court, show us maybe parts of what's going on, maybe with King Daron, other characters that show up, maybe even multi-POV. Like you really need to kind of pack it a little bit to get the Hedge Knight into six Game of Thrones style episodes. Even if a lot of it is like Dunk doing the, the actions, he literally does go through. I mean... You're really going to put like 10 minutes on screen of Dunk just sitting there on a horse thinking about Arlen? No, it's like... <laughs> They're going to have to have conversations. There's, there's going to have to be more yeah. going on. But you might have a 10-minute flashback scene of yeah, actual interaction exactly. between Dunk and, and Arlen. Yeah, so. have some thoughts lots on of flashbacks. that later. That could happen. Yeah, lots of you're right. Flashbacks, I think this is one show that might do that. There's a lot of reasons to do that. Especially in like, if you think about the Sworn Sword. Eustace telling the stories of the Blackfire Bellion, is he just really going to just tell that? Sure. Like, that is a golden opportunity for flashbacks. At least, maybe those vague flashbacks where you you get this battle sounds and there's like, maybe it's not as specific, it's kind of hazy. But yeah, that's, that's a golden opportunity. What do you think, Ashea? I completely agree that there will be flashbacks, ultimately. Okay, <laughs> cool. I guess that's what I think. 
Also, we know that the story could be told in an hour and a half because A Knight's Tale exists, which is basically <laughs> The Hedge Knight. <laughs> right on. So it is, it is confirmed to be live action, not animated. We have a couple of details about behind the scenes. Not much. The writer, the main writer is Ira Parker, who did write for House of the Dragon. Their main credit is for episode four. They're the main writer for that one, which is King of the Narrow Sea. Notably, they worked on better things to yeah. Sean and I, very notable because we, I mean, we, it's one of the best shows out on TV. <laughs> it's uh, one of the better things. Yeah, <laughs> one of the better things on TV is Better Things, which is the Pamela Adlon slice of life show. So really also just very much like a kind of show that lets its characters breathe and live. And is a show that if someone has that under their belt, I feel good about them as a creator. Yeah, you're right. That show really does space things out a lot. It really does have nice pacing. and It's not as plot-centric. It's okay. just showing you moments of life. And over a series of episodes, there are some quote-unquote plots unfold, but it's not as much about what's going to happen next week as mm. how do I feel about these things that are happening, you know? Yeah, and that does seem like more about... Dung. I mean, there's obviously does have a, a narrative and there's a distinct beginning, middle, and end to the story. Especially if you add in what Joe Magician's saying here about adding more POVs, potentially showing other locations, which I tend to agree with, flashbacks um, potentially as well, then you can see where some of that space we've filled in. Also notably about the episode Ira Parker wrote for House of the Dragon, that's the episode with the closest look at the common folk. That's the episode where we have the, the puppet show, or not the puppet show, but the play that Rhaenyra is in mm -hmm. disguise watching and booing <laughs> because they're talking crap about her and all that. And they're in the brothel and all these other like, out on the street. So that was kind of cool. The way they filmed that was really neat. So we might get some more of that vibe. You know, it would be so fun. I mean, they would never do it. They would never, ever, ever do something like this. But if they want to get real zany with it, like we have the puppet show, you know, in, in Dunkin' Egg. Can you imagine if they did like a whole huge extended sequence or episode like oh. as the puppets? Like I just, I'm, I, mm. anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of puppets. And so like they actually could go like pretty hard with the puppetry like aspect. I'm picturing like in the Dark Crystal, they had a puppet show within the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, where like it was, it was, it was gorgeous. I don't know. They could really film that Tencel's puppets very well, actually. So, folks, as we're going through this, type in the chat or let us know. You can, if you're listening to this later or watching this later, what you're most looking forward to and seeing on screen. You know, that anything's directly from the Hedge Knight it doesn't have to be from the Hedge Knight. You can bring up things from the Sworn Sword or the Mystery Knight or things that you think they're going to put in that aren't necessarily there, that are close by? A thing I'd like to see, a direction the show might go, an idea to consider, the way it might open is with Brienne reading from the white book about... Oh, Duncan. that would be Sir cool. Duncan Atoll, right? <laughs> That'd be a good way to tie it. Like modern viewers might... I don't know if they could recast her. I, I feel like she would be excited to do it, I would hope. But, I mean, scene, I feel like yeah. even without the Brienne aspect of it, the idea that like, just like how House of the Dragon started with, you know, oh, years before Daenerys Targaryen, it could be like mm -hmm. the white book scrolling through like pages and you see like different people... Technically, like the white book might mm -hmm. be relevant in general. Even, even if it's not bringing yeah. someone reading from the white yeah, book. Or, 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 yeah, way to yeah. With that title and set up the, the seven time period in a flashback. Yeah, because yeah, they called her that in season eight, especially. So that's that's a big deal. Yeah. But also, I would I don't know that I think they want to like spoil that for people at the beginning. The that's idea that true. Dunk becomes a knight <laughs> of the King's Guard. Like, yeah, they could mm -hmm. know and could, and a lot of people would, but I don't know if they want to be that that's a good point. Blatant, actually. 
That's a good point. They might not want to reveal that. You're right. They may, maybe they'll do that later. Maybe that would be a fun way to start like a later season movie <laughs> once it's more established. I don't know. But that's a good point. That is a good counter, counter argument there. We also wouldn't want people stopping and screenshotting it and be like, uh, died at Summer Hall. Yeah. Like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the entire show's ruined. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Not what happens, it's how it happens. Yeah. We were warning Sean not to reread A Song of Ice and Fire because there's House of the Dragon spoilers in there. It was like, well, yeah, for folks, who, if you haven't read that, there's spoilers in, in Song of Ice and Fire for that too. <laughs> a Song of Ice and Fire has become very spoilery for these secondary <laughs> projects. <laughs> Joe Magician, you have some great notes in our document here about why you think this will be the easiest adaptation of the group. I, I think on the surface, I can see why that's true, but you've got a lot of details here. Let's get into that. Well, sure. If you look back at how George wrote A Song of Ice and Fire, he wrote it on the heels of his the end of his TV career or the, his first TV career. Yeah. And he specifically wrote A Song of Ice and Fire with the idea that I'd never want this filmed. I want this to be as hard as possible. It'll never make it to screen. <laughs> Duncan Egg is very different. Duncan Egg is written almost like a treatment ready for the screen. It's a first-person POV. There's tons of detail about what's going on around them, stage directions, a well-established group of characters. So if you were looking at what George has produced for his for this Westeros world, I mean, if you talk about Fire and Blood, you talk about the main books, you talk about the world of Ice and the Fire, Duncan Egg is the clear winner in terms of like, if you just want to slap this on the screen with just a slight write-up to it, just to break it down into who's saying what and it's like some scene changes, this is the way to go. This is by far the easiest one. You don't have to do anything in terms of like, adding too much as it stands. It's just perfect. Put it right on the screen. And also, it's really good at keeping a low budget on it because no dragons, no yeah. lots of CGI. There's no huge battles. It's something that could be produced almost on a, as a play if you wanted to. It's like a just like have a few different scenes and you just go between them. And it's it's surprising episodes. that this one never got made because it's just so easy to do. Yeah. One quick interjection I want to make is it mm -hmm. it's even already storyboarded with the graphic novels. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, that's one exactly. of the first steps of like producing a show and that's already done too. Yeah. I, I, other than like the potential of like having to manipulate things around to stretch out for six episodes or to make HBO producers mm -hmm. happy or something like that. But yeah, the story is set and it's not expensive. I, I could see why maybe it wasn't as quick to get picked up because it doesn't have the fantasticness or epicness of Game of Thrones. You know, it might be harder to draw in a massive audience audience mm. when you can't show a dragon on the screen. But I don't care about that. I want a good drama. And I bet I'm confident that another reason for this moment, for at this moment it getting put catapulted forward is the success of both The Mandalorian and The Last of Us. This yeah. wolf cub story is doing really well right now. Mm -hmm. And HBO is like, don't we already have a wolf cub story? Like, yeah. let's go on don't that. Don't forget now. The Witcher. Okay. That's another version of that. Like, oh, she is okay. literally yeah. called all, the, all kind of the same he's thing. He's literally the wolf. And she's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a good formula. Formula for adventure. Or yeah, absolutely. It's great. You have, you have special, it's, it's even basically already in the Song of Ice and Fire, too. Like, arguably, Sandor Arya is like a variation on that. Grand Hodor. Grand Hodor, yeah. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are all very uh, special child. Burly protector, <laughs> Brienne Podrick. That's even more similar to Duncan Egg directly. There's Aegon the Sixth and Duck. Oh, yeah. The Duck. other Duncan Egg. Yeah, the other Duck and Egg. Duck and Egg. <laughs> he did it again. He just keeps bringing it back. Can't help it. And also, one thing that also makes this really, really easy, if you compare it especially to uh, House of the Dragon, is again, it's first person POV. There's no guesswork about who said what. Was Mushroom right? Was Eustace yeah. like trying to go between them? It's just like, 
It's all factual. You can just go with what you got, add to it if you want. But the, the facts of the story are extremely well known. So in terms of if you're asking for an adaptation, how much do you have to make? How, how much creative output do you have to put in as a showrunner and a head writer and make this into a TV show? Basically none if you don't want to. It's all there. Yeah. It's a great point. Like when you lay it all out like that, it, it, it's like, wow, yeah, it's, it is almost not surprising that this was the one that got picked or, or maybe it is surprising that it didn't get picked sooner. Sean, you mentioned The Mandalorian and Last of Us. Another one I want to mention related to The Mandalorian is Andor, which was a Star Wars show that took a little bit of a chance in that it removed a lot of its most selling items. It got rid of, there's no Jedi or lightsabers. There's no lightsaber yeah, in the whole thing. No, yeah, the, the and it was still very really acclaimed and popular and successful. Yeah, it's, when you just focus more on the drama and the character development, you don't necessarily need. Now, again, I don't know if that story would have done as well if it didn't have Star Wars attached to it. Like just Agreed. from a marketing standpoint, yeah. not as many people would have been aware or motivated to watch it. But given that Martin has this name, just make a good show and maybe you don't have to use as much flashy marketing. Yeah, if it has the vibe and the quality, then yeah, you're right. I think that's what a lot of us are hoping for. If that can work, then it opens up so many more options for them down the road for other shows that don't have to have dragons or what have you. <laughs> Oh, there will be some dragons, but there'll be dream dragons. Yeah. They won't you don't have to yeah. no fights. No, they can nobody get images of castle. dragons on screen and screen still. That's true. Yeah. But still very, very low budget compared to anything else they're talking about making. This is just like a, you could just go to a random castle in England <laughs> with a meadow and you're good. Yeah. That's the whole thing. <laughs> CGI and some little fill in some gaps here and there, but it's it's partial CGI. You're not doing a whole castle out of CGI. Kind of like how they do with River Run, where they had that front that Shay and Christina and I visited and <laughs> saw what it really looked like, and they just saw the the edit they made to it. So yeah, mm. we expectations. We we have expectations. What's a word that would describe expectations that are more than good? Hmm. Fabulous expectations, not <laughs> extraordinary extra expectations. E yes, not but not great expectations. <laughs> no. We have great bastard. The worst book I've ever read. <laughs> Great Expectations is such a hard read. <laughs> Dickens really did not do himself any favors with that one. Yeah. George R. R. Martin himself. For Game of Thrones, the original show, he wrote one episode each for each of the first four seasons. And then it got to be too much and et cetera, et cetera. That fell off. He's attached to this as a writer, but it's unclear what his involvement is, whether he'll write an episode or just have a finger in several different scripts. It's unclear, but it's interesting that he's been named here as more than just a producer. So I wonder, what do you think about this, Joe Magician? Do you have any insight or just what any guesses? I kind of thought they were just giving him the writer's credit because he wrote The Hedge Knight. Okay. I thought that's that's uh, what it meant. I don't know if he's actually going to produce any episodes. Like they okay. do this a lot on like where the source author gets a writer's credit on stuff. Like if he's really going to write an episode, I mean, like, does he even have to? I mean, like it would just be like, Chop up, cut and paste, send out. <laughs> like, just break it up a little bit for like screen direction. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He hasn't said he's writing any part of it. He actually talked about this on the video you guys did with him, where he got very good as he got through Hollywood at making sure he got lots and lots of titles mm -hmm. and making sure that they were paid appropriately. So, this may be another case of George making sure that he gets the appropriate level of credit and the commensurate. Uh, royalties coming back from it. Can I say that when we saw, we saw George, we'll talk about it in the mid-roll, we saw George last night at a screening 
Night of the Cooters, but he's credited as a producer on that, but he's credited as Lord High Producer. Yes, he was Lord. Uh, yeah, that's in the credits. Just, I yeah. just really appreciate it. He's like, yeah, this is an independent short film. He could choose however he wants to be credited. This is his movie. <laughs> and he's like, let's have a little fun with it. And I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, even though it is, I do completely agree with you, Joe, that it's a well-hashed-out story that might not need much writing effort, especially from George. But I still, maybe this is hopeful thinking, but I still think that there is at least potentially a lot for him to contribute, especially if, say, they write it out and they make some changes or tweaks. They want to remove or add a character. Or maybe they even want to have more diverse casting because this is almost mm-hmm. all a bunch of white men. So maybe they want to find a way to feature more women or minorities. They might say, hey, George, what house... Could we cast with, you know, an ethnic minority or how, what's Hansel's backstory? What if they want to do a whole episode on her and make her mm, a yeah, more known, should, fleshed should out character? Do. That is what they um, should do. And that's, I think, idea. when he hints at the Dornish adventure stuff, like, I think that's what he's saying is like, we need to give more. T- and and t- maybe t- they even like ask him a bunch of questions like, hey, what are some things you wish you included? What's some directions you're wanting going? What's some background we might set up that I could still see a lot to pick his brain on, you know, enough maybe to write a few pages or spend a few hours to, enough to justify his name and the pay as a writer. <laughs> Definitely one se- section we have in this episode sure. is to talk about stuff that's quote of fixes. Sort of like what you're saying, Sean. There's a, some, uh, well, the most obvious one is to fill in the Blackfire details, which are just not there at all, which really should be. And given how much they all love the Blackfires, I mean, us, y'all, George, Ryan Condal, it's his favorite period of, of Westeros history. So... It's not only going to be set up in other projects, but it's got to be set up in this one. I mean, it's in the Sworn Sword. I mean, that's like <laughs> the main thing there. So it's it's pretty obvious that it's got to be included. But I think there are some that are less obvious that if we were to think about it, something like what you just said, Sean, is a, is a good idea. They could bring in some sellsword company around for some reason. I don't know why they'd be there, but there are reasons <laughs> for other people to be there. There's going to be markets and vendors and things like that. So there is an opportunity to include a lot of different actors and, and characters and people from different places. But yeah, it's a good point. So speaking of Ryan Condal, he is attached as an executive producer, and so is Vince Gerardis. Vince yes. Gerardis has been around the... Yeah, he's one of George's main producing partners, and I mean, Maester, you know, Gerard, like, is, is named after Vince Gerardis. Like, yeah. Literally is a major character in our, in our series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maester Gerardis, that's right. He's in there. He, mm-hmm. he got one of his name drops. Yeah. <laughs> it's an appropriate thing for him to be a Maester. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty important. And Ryan Condal probably won't be terribly involved, just keeping a finger yeah, on the toe in the pool, so to speak, checking in on those black fires. <laughs> it definitely does sort, sort of seem to be a spinoff of his, of House of the Dragon, in the sense, because obviously Ira Parker came from his yeah. writing team. Now they brought in Vince Gerardis, who produced, what, 73 episodes of Game of Thrones. And this is also Ira Parker's first showrunner job. So it seems quite clear that Condal and Gurm are basically like putting him together with people that will help him on his, on his big promotion, I guess. Yeah, so he's, Which is kind of what it is for him. Yeah, you're right. They're basically creating almost like a third option for a, a showrunner within their, within this sphere under this umbrella. Like, well, maybe Ira, maybe like 10 years from now, Ira Parker will be running a Sea Snake show or something. Who knows what other, some <laughs> other project in the future thing we haven't even conceived of. Yeah. Rings of power to electric. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> So the working title is A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight. And A Night of the Seven Kingdoms has some obvious vibes to it. It's, it's a little generic. Like, you wouldn't obviously know that that's Westeros. I mean, if you, you would yeah. if you know the Seven Kingdoms. But, like, if you're a fan of... If you've only seen the TV shows, 
that might not immediately strike you as Game of Thrones, but the other details in the marketing, I'm sure, would make, make that clear. We've taken a lot of quotes from George's blog post on this topic, on the news about the show and what he's said about it. So we're going to read most of those quotes throughout this episode and, and use those as vamp to discuss. Here is why it won't be called Dunk and Egg or something like that. I love Dunk and I love Egg. And I know that fans refer to my novellas as the Dunk and Egg stories, sure. But there are millions of people out there who do not know the stories and the title needs to intrigue them too. If you don't know the characters, Dunk and Egg sounds like a sitcom. Laverne and Shirley, Abbott and Costello, Beavis and Butthead. I love that he chose Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> I see, that, he knows that exists. I like I liked it. I saw like a lot of like click kind of clickbaity articles too that like went about about it. They're like George R. R. Martin doesn't want the new spinoff to be like Beavis and Butthead. I was like, what a weird way to put that. But like, sure, get your clicks, get your clicks. Who thought this was like Beavis yeah, and Butthead? Why did he want it? Like, do you want it? Like, who who among us does want it to be? I'm like. If we could have any show we wanted at the flick of at the snap of my fingers, I would want to see that. But I wouldn't I actually, want anyone yeah. to put effort into that above these other projects. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually Venus would will... like a comedic sitcomy Dunkin' Egg animated version. Like that sounds good, but so does <laughs> what we're gonna get. Oh. Beavis would want to see Summerhall. Yes, Beavis Fire. would want to see Summer. Beavis, would, Beavis would love Aries. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why? This is this Mad King is the best king. Beavis yeah, and, no, and just, Westeros yeah. would be spelled B-A-E. I would like to see art of Aries as Beavis, actually. Like, yeah, it would be actually perfect. Let's get on San Rixian and ask yeah, her to draw. Um, I just remember there actually is a story like that. What? Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh. Back Maybe that's what he was thinking about. Maybe somebody was like, oh, so it's like Beavis and Bud, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. He's like, no, no it's yeah. much more serious. It's about dreams and nights. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think like you have it in the dock, but the official title does not matter because yeah, you people will call it Dunkin' yeah, Egg. It like, and ultimately, like if you think about like, let's say, uh, who knows what Twitter will be like at that point, but as the example on Twitter, <laughs> uh, how they have hash flags, which is where you get like a little like emoji next to a hashtag. Yeah, they're going to have Night of the Seven Kingdoms as a hashtag or whatever, the hedge night, but they will have hashtag Dunkin' Egg with a little, a sure, little emoji. Like, yeah. They will have that. So we'll be calling it Dunkin' Egg. I agree. They didn't want us to call House of the Dragon the hot D, but we did it anyway. <laughs> and people still get that title wrong all the time. People still call it House of Dragons or the House of Dragon. or It's just, yeah, people <laughs> yeah. still can't get that right <laughs> out there in the world. It's, just, it's also just kind of a weird name, like, yeah. You, you could sort of see the marketing process they went through this. It's like, all right, so what's a hedge knight? And they went around the room and most people are like, I don't know. Is that like medieval somehow? Is yeah. something to do with knights? Is this like <laughs> the last kingdom? Is this the witcher? Like, is, does that have anything to do with Westeros? No. Okay, so let's add in some other stuff that people might know. Seven kingdoms, people have heard of that, right? Well, okay, maybe. <laughs> like, maybe that comes up. A knight of the seven kingdoms. Well, people that remember the episode where Bran got knighted, sure. So we're getting some Game of Thrones fans, but what about a wider audience? And they just sort of went like, all right, word salad. We're putting it all together. We're going to SEO the crap out of this one and make sure that it's like every single search term possible. But also, by the way, this is my personal bugbear. There are more than seven kingdoms. There are nine there kingdoms. There are nine kingdoms. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> there or are absolutely nine kingdoms. Yeah. 
Well, nine if you include the crown lands, which are definitely yeah, a kingdom. I would count that. It's been distinct for long enough, for like 300 years now. So yeah. <laughs> Fight me in the comments. There are nine kingdoms. George is wrong. The crown lands has been the crown lands longer than the United States has been a nation. <laughs> <laughs> and the river lands too. Yeah. Yeah. They are not owned by the ironborn. Don't at me. <laughs> if the United States was really the United States, it would just be the states. Oh, the state. <laughs> so it's not really united yet. Yeah. <laughs> I celebrated this news but on my Instagram story by going to Dunkin' Donuts and posting my big <laughs> Dunkin' drink. And oh, that's going to be such sandwich. a good crossover. It is. Yeah, I see people in the chat who are like, yeah, there's going to be, has there been a convention where they served a brunch dish called Dunkin' Egg? Like just the idea of like breakfast. And Dunkin' yeah. Egg-themed brunches. Dun- yeah, Dunkin' Donuts and HBO, they're having conversations right now. Like, <laughs> hey, let's do this, y'all. <laughs> Tasty wildfire donut. Mm. Yes, yeah. totally also, to go back to what George is saying, Dunkin' Egg is definitely a sitcom. <laughs> like, you put a laugh track to it, and it definitely could be. I mean, we had the... It is funny. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can have sitcoms that have, like, great pathos and make you cry and can yeah, have something true. like Bale or Breakspear yeah. can happen. Don't, which is also where, like... Don't undersell yourself, George. I mean... Better Things isn't a sitcom, but it is a half-hour dramedy-type show. So, like, it is actually in between snets. So Ira Parker is kind of well set up, I think, to mine the humor as well. I think a lot of shows, a lot of the best shows, are ostensibly, superficially comedies. But once you start to get into them, you realize, like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. this is a drama that just has some funny stuff in it. Yeah. I mean, anytime someone says sitcoms or, or... Shows that are mainly comedies can't be serious or can't elicit genuine emotions. Well, think of the Futurama episode with Fry's dog. I mean, come on. Why are you doing this to me right now, Aziz? I don't want to cry in your stream. (laughs) You're trying to avoid throwing up and crying. I'm just trying to hit you with all I'll do both. It's a test. I will do both right now. Yeah, so I, I, also, I, but I would love to see Dunk come into the frame like Kramer, like opens the door, like. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we have the existing curb your enthusiasm, Dunk, Dunk and Egg uh, mashup. Oh, yeah. That was that was hilarious. Perfect. So yeah, it all it's all it's all working. It is, it's all there. So we're 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 making the point, George. It is a sitcom. Just <laughs> it isn't. It's a night sitcom. It isn't only a sitcom. <laughs> This reminds me of so all this talk of parallels. We are going to do a Mandalorian, a Song of Ice and Fire parallels episode, speaking of, of that earlier, because there's a lot of parallels between the sword Blackfire and the Blackfire Rebellions with the Darksaber and the Mandalorian Civil Wars and how just having this item to fight over and saying the person who holds this is king is, yeah, that's, there's a lot of similar things that broke out, right down to one side turning to swords And yeah, anyway, we'll get into that in the actual episode. Here's another quote from George about the show we're talking about right now, The Hedge Knights. There is no date set yet for the series premiere or even for the show to begin shooting, but the writing is well underway. Ira has assembled a small but very talented team, and they are at it already, building on the foundations laid down last year in previous creative summits and, of course, on the original novella. This definitely argues for what you were saying, Joe, about how it doesn't sound like George is actually one of the writers, but gets a writing credit because yeah. it says he's assembled a, a team and it doesn't say including <laughs> me or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> so I wonder who they are. Maybe there's some other House of the Dragon writers or just people he's worked with before. We'll, I'm sure that we'll eventually we'll hear who they are. But he's already written a pilot. Apparently, George called it terrific with lots of extra R's because George has lots of R's, germ, mm. you know. 
So there's not maybe not a whole lot to say about that other than just to point it out and say that's that seems good. I mean, we'd we'd like to have a talented team. <laughs> I don't know how small it is. We don't want it to be too small, but we'll just wait and see on that, I suppose. Mostly waiting for T. Mickle to be announced that she's on this program. Mm-hmm. Of course she will be. I hope so. That'd be yeah. great. She, she finds her way onto every one of George's projects because she is wonderful. Yes, she is. <laughs> we agree. So let's talk about the next part here. It's I've entitled it Dreams on Dreams, more of the Dreamception theme. Here is what George says about what will happen if the Hedge Knight does well. If the Hedge Knight turns out as well as we hope it will, our hope would be to go on and adapt the Sworn Sword and the Mystery Knight as well. That will take a few years. Then comes the hard part. Before we reach the end of the published stories, I will need to find time to write all the other Duncan Egg novellas that I have planned. There are, gulp, more of them than I had once thought. (laughs) There's The Village Hero and The Winterfell Story. It's the one with the she-wolves. And maybe I need to write that Dornish adventure too to slip in in between The Hedge Knight and The Sworn Sword. And after that, there are... Uh, more. <laughs> and this is where I need to make a correction on our last episode when I was talking about my excitement about him talking about that Dornish adventure. Aziz said that it was what it is, which is the Dornish adventure between the Hedge Knight and the Sworn Sword. I was like, no, I don't think that's what he was saying. Yeah, that's exactly what he was saying. I should have went back and read the post. I was exactly wrong. That, that's what he said. And I also wanted to bring up a quote from myself at TUSCON 2016 where I asked George, I said, I just wanted to ask, I know you have quite a lot of Dunkin' Egg books planned. Are we ever going to see Tansel too tall again? Are we going to find out what happened to her? And he had a big smile on his face. Like he lit up immediately and he was like, well, that would be telling. And he laughed. And then he said, but I think there's a good chance. Yes. And for me personally, my like, my policy when I go to these read, like readings and Q&As is like sometimes I like to ask a question just to kind of be like, hey, George, we like Dunkin' Egg. We like Tencel. Like we're paying attention to this thing that you're not maybe always asked about. Even if I don't think he can tell me a lot there, I want him to be reminded that fans are huge fans of his other works, I guess. It's a good policy. <laughs> I will say, Shay, even if you were off about what George specifically was intending when talking about Dorn or whatever, it doesn't mean he can't have other intentions also. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. But yeah, I was thinking we were going to see Tancel again, you know, after the events of the Mystery Night, is what I was thinking that meant. But no, we're just going to, he's going to write a little, I I didn't think that was an option for Duncan Egg that we would go back ever. That's going to be neat. Yeah. I mean, he does have the dream of, of his horse dying and, and the memories of that. And there's, there's scenes from it. So yeah, I mean, it's not a whole lot, but uh, yeah, that would be cool if he fully fleshes that out. There are things that there aren't a whole lot to that become full episodes, yeah. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. True so. that. <laughs> Who knows what the morrow will bring us indeed, eh, y'all? Mm-hmm. To quote Dunk himself. Yeah, so that's a, there's a lot of possibilities there. and. He originally had said, if you look at old interviews, he said, yeah, I've got a bunch planned. Eventually, he started to settle on the word nine or the number nine for how many there were. But (laughs) nowadays, he doesn't say that. He says nine minimum. He's more, it seems like it's more around a dozen. And that was before the show was announced. So now this, that was before he considered writing a Tansel adventure (laughs) or all. So it's really just the tale grows in the telling yet again. It just, yeah. (laughs) 
That's how it works. I mean, classic George. Yeah, classic, classic. The, the man, the man's dreams far outpace his <laughs> ability to put him to pen to paper, as it were. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the ones he's already told us about, what are they called? They're, um, hang on, I put them in here somewhere. The Sellsword, the Champion, the Kingsguard, the Lord Commander. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's some spoiler title, titles there. <laughs> and also the Dornish Adventure one. We we know a little bit about that one. That yes, he does go to Tansel, but he makes us all the way. He makes his way all the way down to Planky Town, which is quite far into Dorne, mm-hmm. almost all the way into Unspear. So there's a lot of possibilities. Especially George has been wanting for a while to put Starfall on the scene. That could definitely be a part of his journey if he wanted to. If you're going through the Prince's Pass, take a detour and see the Danes. Maybe drop another dunk seed there while he's there. It's the House of one. Egg's mother. It would make sense. They'd have a compelling reason to go. It's not. It wouldn't be random. Right? Yeah. So that's cool. And also, Dunk has a, a lot of kids he's got to leave behind at certain <laughs> points. So a lot of these stories are point. actually someone in the chat is like, oh, no, they're going to put sex in Dunk and Egg. I'm like, I got bad news for you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Dunk almost smashes in every single one and is going to in the future. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dunk's hot. There's not going to be any way around that, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's, but there's also a lot of Dorn he could show us because we haven't really seen a ton of it. We've seen True. some stuff from Ario Hota and then going to the Water Gardens and back and... We've seen a little bit of the green blood with the ambush, but I mean, like, if you plot the route going from the Prince's Pass all the way to Planky Town, it's a lot of good places along the way that George probably wants to write about. Yeah, I mean, you also got Ironwood. You could see more of the green blood. You could see Vaith. All these kind of places. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that are sort of just in the world of Ice and Fire, but would be kind of interesting to put on the screen itself. I like the way you think. These are great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, of course, the village hero. I think the one that most people are looking forward to most. The village hero is speculated to maybe be Penny Tree. Yes. That yeah. this will be where Egg meets his future wife. Mm-hmm. It's always been kind of confusing. Where does Egg meet her exactly during his travels and stuff like that? But as we know, as we're going to talk about, Blood Raven ends up making his way into Egg's life a lot more after, <laughs> after the mystery night. It would make a lot of sense if he somehow manipulated egg to find and dunk to find their way into penny tree to solve this long simmering feud that the brackens and the blackwoods have been you know having for forever and george really likes writing about he really wants to put like somebody in there and dunk is the perfect person for it yeah i like that a lot and i think that blood raven will talk a little bit about more later in this episode because he's a big part of what they'll have to sort of retcon for the hedge knight because he was obviously around then but isn't mentioned mm. and given all the stuff with dreams and everything, you could see them aligning some more sort of deep cut, a song of ice and fire, meaning the great prophecy, meaning the coming of the others stuff to sort of align some of that or have some early dreams or blood Raven having his own visions or just looking ahead politically and being like, well, if a Targaryen and a Blackwood marriage would be a good thing potentially to have in in our back pocket, maybe multi multi multi-tiered reasoning there. Very cool. Well, imagine Egg in the desert walking through Dorne. He would really have to keep that head covered, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Do you think maybe they... Egg they, having a good time. They take on assumed names while they're down there, like, I don't know, Cooper and Darnell, maybe? You know, just another <laughs> Lord Commander before... Yeah. Duper and Carnell. <laughs> Duper and Carnell. <laughs> Dunker and Eggnell. Yeah, uh, yeah. the She-Wolves could be interesting. We, we've talked about that a few times, but that would be, yeah, you know, folks are going to love to see like earlier Starks. That's always a big draw. We're, we're looking forward to seeing how that goes. Season two of House of the Dragon, we're going to mm-hmm. see Starks and fans will be pretty excited for that. It's, it's, it's almost a guarantee that some of that will be in some of the trailers right away to build the hype. So 
Yeah, you know, this one, this one would be a ways away. But not only would it bring in the Starks, but it bring in Greyjoys. And that's, that's fun, having Starks mm-hmm. versus Greyjoys with Duncan Egg mixed in there and all these different women. Now, if y'all remember, we did an episode on Lord Cregan just a few weeks ago. And this is exactly the, the era that follows him. Baron is Lord of the North and Dagon Greyjoy. Baron was his great grand or his grandson, Cregan. So you had another thought here. There's another one. The famous <laughs> scene. I know we've brought this up before, but yeah. we never asked you about it. So let's say you weigh in on the famous scene from Bran's vision that we might see one day in Duncan Egg related to a certain younger version of a popular character. Young men, as it were. Yeah, Bran's weirwood vision, the first time he connects to the, the Winterfell weirwood, he sees a whole bunch of visions all at once. And fans have been going nuts for years trying to figure out which one is which and who is who. Like, oh, is which which Stark bastard is it like in the tree? Which one had a bow? But the one that people love the most is a giant of a man kissing a young woman underneath the weirwood tree. And there's been a lot of speculation for a while, especially from Crowfoot's daughter, who has tried to connect Dunk to basically every tall person in Westeros <laughs> in the current timeline. And one of the ones that she and other people have identified is Hodor, that there's a lot of similar language about the way George writes about the two characters. And if Dunk continues his, his smashing spree through Westeros, if he's related to Hodor, well, old Nan is his grandmother or great-grandmother. I think that's, is that the relationship? Yeah, it would be grandmother. Or great, it could be great-grandmother. Yeah. It's one of the two, whichever one it is. So a lot of people think that this is actually Dunk with a very attractive young Nan under, mm-hmm. kissing underneath the weirwood tree and the she-wolves because... Yeah, Dunk is not, a, he's a knight of the seven kingdoms. And as such, he does not keep to the vows that he may or may not have taken, especially the chastity part. The knight of seven kingdoms who makes the eight. Hey. Yeah. Mm. He may have made the nine. He may have okay. made the full nine, indeed. <laughs> that would be surprising. <laughs> he goes everywhere. And that would be a lot of fun to see, especially Old Nan is a kind of a beloved character in the a Song of Ice and Fire and seeing her as her hot young self. Oof, oof. Yeah. Get ready for that one. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of lusting after young Nan. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be funny. <laughs> young Y-U-N-G. There's no yeah. own there. It's young Nan. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does give a lot of potential. And you can just imagine how the various ways they might give little clues, little Easter eggs. Easter eggs is a funny term to use with Dunkin' Egg. <laughs> to connect Hodor to Bran. I mean, Hodor to, to Dunk and Nan to young Nan to old Nan. That would be easier. Which is an example, of course, when you think of a character who's alive or was alive at the beginning of a, a Game of Thrones, who was actually alive back then, you think of maybe Bloodraven, who's that way because of magic. But Eamon, who's actually Egg's brother, is, of course, one of the most major ones. That's a, a beloved character. That's a very obvious possibility for a way for them to expand the story a bit. So something to add a few more pages here and there, add a scene here and there, showing Eamon in season one. He's not in the book, but showing him, yeah, that the, they're going to want to do that at a certain point, if not right away. Maybe not like episode one, mm-hmm. but, but maybe, maybe episode one. You know what I mean? How do you guys feel about that, about how they might include Eamon given he's not. Like we do know there is one example of them off page saying, hey, we went to Old Town and visited him and drank the fearsomely strong cider that still gets mentioned in A Feast for Crows because they still <laughs> yeah, that's right. brew it strong 100 years later, which why not? It's, it's a winning recipe. Keep it going. I wonder if they could show Egg before he runs away. Yeah, maybe they could do it with flashbacks, but maybe just show him before he runs away, but still hide the fact that he's a prince. Mm. If they show Egg and Amon just 
talking about some historical hero or playing some game in a field. We get to see their interaction and get to show us Amon. It might not be as meaningful if the, the general audience isn't connecting who that is since they don't know who Egg is. But it might become more meaningful later on when you realize, wait, if he's the prince and that was his brother, then, you know, that's just one idea of how they might do it. Might might show Egg's frustration with his life at court, the reason why he runs away. But still, I don't think they want to spoil the fact that he's the prince that quickly. Yeah. So they would have to do it in a way that hides who he really is. I don't know. Yeah. They might have maybe some opening scene where they have him running away, something like that. Because, yeah, because we know that Makar sent all his men out to look for him. And Daron tells all these lies about what happened. And yeah. <laughs> so they could include that. Like that could be a scene rather than just hearing a, about that later, like in two sentences. That would make sense. Oh, yeah. For the Aemon part, how to introduce them. I think the easiest way is if they do the Dornish adventure, go looking for Tansel, go to Old Town first and yeah. then move out and then head down to Dorn. I mean, it's most people, it, it, there's a long established path going from Old Town to Dorn as they have sacked each other back and forth. So, it would be an easy route to go down to Old Town, go up, go through the Prince's Pass, nailed it. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. You know, another one that we didn't mention that could be one of those titles that you threw out. One time George was asked at a convention, will we find out more about the outlaw lord that slew Makar? He's like, yes, mm. but that'll be, you'll have to wait for a future installment of Duncan Egg for that. Now, he did end up putting in a little bit of that detail in the world book, even though he said he, it would be a spoiler to do that, but he only put in a little bit of that detail. Went enough for us to do a whole episode on it around that time, the Peak Rebellion. So that's another example. Check that episode out if you're unfamiliar. But that takes place right at the end of Makar's reign, which was a like 10-year-ish reign, 10 or 12. And he dies there. So it's a pretty impactful. That's Egg's father dying. So you can see why that would be pretty meaningful as a installment for this show. It would be pretty far down the line, but it's a good good option. You can see why that would be an interesting story to tell. Uh, it's a lot of history around Dunk. You just have to throw a dart at his timeline. You could make a season out of it if you felt like it. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. What about going beyond though? Like what's going to happen? I mean, three books, you know, I remember in 2011, we're like, okay, well, he's going to, Right, he'll finish the series before the show gets there. Like, nope, that didn't happen. He didn't, he didn't write one more. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, to be fair, you don't have the Winds of Winter still. The Dunk and Egg oh, novellas man. are a lot shorter, but and Winds of Winter is a lot closer than it was. It's also huge at this point. The amount of work he's done is it's going to be longer than Dance of Dragons already. That's another topic. But given that, yeah, I wonder if we get to the point where he just has to hand it off, or if they just start developing it on. It's, it's, it's a Pretty far down the line thing to worry to, to think about, but realistically, the day will come where people, other people are writing stories in this world, and so that may not be for a long time, may not be for 20 years or something like that, but the more shows that get made, the more likely that is to happen sooner because they're just going to run through what he's written. Eventually, it'll run out. So that is what's going to happen. Who knows when, but if y'all have any thoughts on that, feel free to, to weigh in. Yeah, I think if I were HBO and by the way, HBO, you should just hire me for this stuff. Like, <laughs> at me or in an email anyway. But Do it, hire I would only, <laughs> I would plan for three up the three seasons and that would be it. There's a lot of speculation when this came out. Folks were like, oh no, what, what happens when they go beyond? What if Gurm doesn't have the stories out? All this stuff. It's like, 
Do people not like Dunkin' Egg because you don't know the ending yet? <laughs> but you, don't, you don't know all of Dunk's life? No, these are beloved stories that stand on their own. You don't need to plan for this thing, the Night of Seven Kingdoms, to be a nine-season monolith of HBO programming going forever. It's fine to make it a, sh- a three or four-season show. Like Clearly, the fans do not care that we don't know beyond Dunk at White Walls. We know, I mean, we know where he goes eventually, but that hasn't stopped us from frothing at the mouth for the next one or to <laughs> truly love these things. The, the viewership will be there whether or not they, George delivers the rest of them. And clearly they've decided that George is the secret sauce. <laughs> they want to put things to screen that is only stuff he has finished. So just plan for that. Seems like the easiest way. I generally agree with everything you just said, but there is one factor to consider. It's I think especially with this story is the casting issue. Even if they only do these three and they do one a year. They can get away with egg aging up, I think. But if they stretch these out, or if they film three, and then five years later want to do the fourth, they can't have a 20-year-old egg, unless the story jumps that far ahead too. But I don't, I don't know if that'll match up with the timeline and the stories that George wants to tell about them. So I, it's, I have made the argument in the past that I really was hoping this would be animated. So I think casting... Dunk, especially, is going to be a really difficult period. Yeah. Finding someone that young, that big, and a good actor, it's, it's really hard to find that. But when you also have to cast a kid and then deal with them aging up over time, there are other solutions. Like maybe if they do make three and then five years later make another one, they just recast the whole thing. And if the story is good enough, I wouldn't care. Maybe they. Uh, I would think they'd need to recast everyone. Like that doesn't seem likely they'd have to do that. I kind of would prefer it if they recast pretty much everyone, just did a whole new thing than, mm. than the. One little character or something. I don't know. I I even thought that maybe even if they do three seasons, three years in a row, maybe still recast it. That that might be too confusing for audiences. I I, this is probably way too much to to hope for. But I thought they might do something really like I don't know avant garde like that. Oh shoot, what was the name of that movie about Bob Dylan? Where they had a bunch of different actors playing, including like Kate Blanchett and everything. Like that, maybe even scene to scene or episode to episode, they could have different people playing the roles. (laughs) That seems unlikely. They fit the the emotion of the moment or the aesthetic of the scene or something like that. I I highly doubt that they'll do something that that artsy. But I could see maybe every batch of three. If they put three out every five years and maybe have a new cast, I don't know. I think one thing they'll do is they'll age egg up a little bit. So he's not as young to start with, which is what they did with pretty much... Oh, they, all, that call. is a really common yeah. tactic. They did that with pretty much all the other young characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. They made them a little bit older. George even wished that he had made the kids in the main series a little older. I wonder if he right. wishes he made Egg a little bit older too. Because that is another thing too. A kid as young as Egg might literally not be able to pick up Dunk's armor. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, I, I would say it's like along like the soundscape points out, like in Indiana Jones, like how they de-aged people and it's a small age difference. Well, it made me think of the most I think it was the most recent season of Stranger Things or the one before. But they just de-aged Eleven. Like they just filmed some stuff with her and and used CGI to make her younger to like mm. re like because they wanted to do certain flashbacks of her like when she was a little okay. girl. But she's in a like she's an eighteen year old woman now. Yes. So like they did that, and it didn't look bad. It actually worked pretty well. So like I, I actually think that there is some with technology. Technically, they could extend a child being a child a little bit longer. I can see them doing that, and I wouldn't really even object that much. 
But part of our, 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 in our minds, the selling point for the show is the budget is low. Yeah, that's But true. that starts to make the budget a little bit bigger. Well, if it's, if it does well enough to get a second or third season, they will have a bigger, you know, that then shouldn't that be too problem. Yeah. Sure. Bringing up a, a related show, something we've already talked about, coming back to The Mandalorian. They got around this problem by their two main characters. One has a mask on at all times <laughs> and the other is a puppet. <laughs> a puppet <yeah>. So <laughs> you can see how they, that's not as big of a problem for them. But say like a show like, the Last Kingdom just had their wrap-up movie, which is like 30-some years at the, past the show. Uhtred does not look like he's in his 60s. They're just like, oh, well, <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, he's still, he looks like a slightly older Alexander Draymond. He's like, eh, you still look like you're in your 30s, bro. But, you know, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Game of Thrones handled babies by just never having them cease to be babies. They just didn't exist. Yeah, they just, babies, well, it's kind of like baby Yoda. Nobody has children in Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Gilly, who's kind of child doesn't age. Yeah. <laughs> but also in Game of Thrones, they really didn't recast pretty much anybody. And there's an argument they maybe should have at a certain point as characters yeah. got a lot older or as they aged out of their roles or that kind of thing. But House of the Dragon, they basically ripped the band-aid on that one. They recast major characters halfway through. So I don't think that's sort of a proof of concept for them that mm. if they want to do this, then they want to skip around. Audience is there for it. They're about to see it's some... good precedent setting yeah. that they had yeah. House of the Dragon. Yeah. Another one to compare it to that I've already mentioned is The Witcher. Now, they had issues with their younger actress, Freya Allen, who was playing the role of Siri. Siri's supposed to be younger, but they had COVID delays, like multi-year COVID delays. Everything got slow. So she's like, they had scenes written for her kind of like, the, she's about the same age as Eleven is in Stranger Things. And they the role was written for someone younger, but she aged up during COVID. And they're like, we're not. they didn't want to recast her. So they just had to like, rewrite some stuff to make it more like, well, she's not 15. She's more like 19. And that's a substantial difference. And then doubling down though, Henry Cavill's going to be replaced by Liam Hemsworth, replacing the lead. So if that, mm. if they can do that relatively smoothly now, to be fair, Henry Cavill's far more famous than whoever is going to be Dunk. Dunk will probably be an unknown at this point. Uh, so recasting Ryan an Kaur. unknown. Make it Ryan Core. <laughs> recasting an unknown wouldn't be quite as big a deal. But if The Witcher can pull this off, and we haven't actually seen that they will, because this hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen the reaction to the Switch yet. And we won't for a long time, because Henry Cavill's in season three, which isn't even out yet. So we're talking about two years before we see the reaction to that. So maybe around the same time Duncan Egg is coming out, Witcher season four will. And we'll see if a show can pull that off, like switching out someone that important. But the point about Rhaenyra and Alicent is a really good one. Like you're right, they, Game of Thrones audiences are sort of primed for that. And I, and I wonder behind the scenes, how much that decision worked or didn't for them. Like, did it succeed in spite of that decision? Or was that, did that work really well? Did they get a lot of emails from people that are like, this was confusing. You know, like, we know, we're so deep into it. It's maybe hard for <laughs> us to know how that affected other people, other viewer, like the casual viewer. What did the actor switch mean for them? Actually, there's fine folks like us that can explain. Yeah. If you all can think of other examples of shows that switched out a major actor and, and did fine despite that, let us know. That would be, it'd be good. Maybe add to our discussion here. Doctor Who. Throw that in. Oh yeah, Doctor Who. They kind of made a point of doing that. They kind of, it's mm -hmm. kind of built into the show. That's a good, that's a good call though. That's a unique version of that. I haven't even seen it, but I know The Crown, which spans oh. yeah. decades, yeah, they've switched yeah, that, out the actors. That's what House of the Dragon was using as its model, like very clearly. Was okay, like cool. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but uh, people have, I've, Heard a lot of people bring it up in that context. That makes sense. And they literally cast Matt Smith, uh, for, yeah. know, a large part of, you know, based on his performance in that series. Uh, certainly not based on Doctor Who. Uh, in both of those, he was Doctor Who and Prince Philip. So, uh, Very different from the Doctor. Yeah. yeah. He's done a few roles. Um, but he? yeah, no, I think it was probably them looking at Charles Manson and the Prince to cast him as Damon and not 
Doctor Who. Because yeah, I, I don't think you look at him as Doctor Who and go, "Ooh, Damon Targaryen." <laughs> <laughs> Even his evil Doctor Who moments are like nowhere near as evil as Damon. <laughs> so here's a quote from George about production and other successful shows, including Dunkin' Egg. Way back in the summer of 2016, when HBO first started thinking about Game of Thrones spinoffs, I pitched them two ideas. The Dance of the Dragons, which in due time became House of the Dragon, and Duncan A. That was seven years ago. I can hardly believe it myself. The lesson there is that development takes time. I see all these stories on the net about other spinoffs being killed or abandoned. No idea where they get this stuff. And it just makes me shake my head. The Nymeria show is still in development. So is the Sea Snake show. Just had a great week on that one, working with writers. And there are others, both live action and animated. And notably, I mean, when he says a great week working with writers for the Sea Snake show, if you remember Bruno Heller, who did Rome, was the one who was doing the Sea Snake show. So assuming he's still attached, then yeah, I'm sure he did have a great week talking to the guy who worked on Rome. Like, I'm sure that was a great, great thing for him. But maybe it was other writers on that. And for... George will never hear this, but if he's wondering where people got that from, it's because one of his production company websites took off Nymeria and Sea Snake. And when they take projects off of the website, people notice and write articles about it. I think it's kind of notable that they did that. But as George says, that does not mean that they're not in development development anymore. It just means whoever's managing that website made some changes. Yeah. Uh, clearly, if he worked on it last week, that's... Yeah, that answers <laughs> that. Even though those were removed. There, mm-hmm. My point is that that didn't come out of nowhere. There really yeah. weren't just articles out of nowhere. There was something that made people theorize that. Yeah, people just took too much from that website. Oh, I think. People on the internet took too much from too small a source <laughs> and made it into a whole thing? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I'm still most... It happens all the time. For that Nymeria show. And I'll say I had heard some like troubling things. Like, I, I was concerned about it. And so then when it was... I thought when, when it was maybe canned, I was like, oh, okay, I'm sad, but I guess that makes sense. So to hear that it's very much still in development, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, we're still we in were... It. I had it, kind of given up on it after like a couple of bad news about it. So it yeah. was easy to believe that it was canceled. It yeah. was like almost too much to hope for in the first place. You yeah. know? <laughs> Even uh, though it's such a great idea. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're also... But, but we, of course, of it, we if, think it's a great if idea. If we're manifesting things like Joe manifesting working on Duncan Egg, <laughs> certainly yeah, that's the one go. I want to work on Nymeria, please. I'll, I'll, I'll say put it in a good loud. word for you too once I get okay, hired. Okay, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of Rome and this Bruno Heller and the Sea Snake, that's another show that swapped out a major actor. They had only two seasons, but the actor who played Emperor Octavian was, you know, switched. He was a kid. He was young. He was a boy, and then he was an adult. But they did not look similar at all. <laughs> the two. It was very different. But they made it work anyway. A lot of the time, it's it's a byproduct of how, unfortunately, how you get clicks on YouTube or on your articles and stuff like that. Like, no news on Nymeria's Conquest is not something that gets people to click. No. The question, is Nymeria's Conquest canceled? That gets the click. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's it's basically the same thing. The, the, the content is the same. It's how you're presenting it. And there's a lot... This is a big market. There's a lot of media stuff around it. So how are you going to stand out? Well, 
asking a lot of questions <laughs> about where things are inside an HBO boardroom is a good way to do well, it. I'm just asking leading questions. questions. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I don't know. It. it might be canceled. I, I know. know. That's why I don't make them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I find them annoying. Yeah. I, like, I get, like, I, you know, I get it. I get it. But I can't stomach it ultimately. I just cannot. <laughs> Your shows are safe, Ashea. Yeah. Everything's okay. <laughs> Apparently, the first initial interest in A Song of Ice and Fire in Hollywood was in the year 2000, November 2000. So George was, this quote that Ashea just read was 2016, where they started thinking about spinoffs from it. That's going back really far. And what's interesting, in a full circle, everything connects kind of angle here, George said that the Hedge Knight really helped get A Song of Ice and Fire going. Because remember, folks, it came out right after Clash of Kings, almost, you know, very sim yeah. similar timing. And it appeared in an anthology called Legends that had a lot of other famous authors in it. A lot of people hadn't read Game of Thrones, hadn't heard of it, or hadn't picked it up because it was too big, or they weren't in, you know, they, it was like, ah, it's a lot of time investment. But they read The Hedge Knight in Legends, and then they went and were like, oh, I want to read Game of Thrones now. Uh, George credits The Hedge Knight with getting Game of Thrones going, which in turn got it on TV. So... Duncan Egg got A Song of Ice and Fire on TV, did its part, and now A Song of Ice and Fire is getting Duncan Egg, Duncan Egg on TV, which is kind of how I... This is like a Dune Star Wars kind of thing. Like, Star Wars wouldn't have existed without Dune because Star Wars is like borrows heavily from Dune. But Dune would not have been made into a movie without Star Wars. Because <laughs> Star mm -hmm. Wars is the one that was successful on the big screen first. Yeah, kind of like the copy helps the original sometimes. And of course, there would be no Song of Ice and Fire without Beauty and the Beast. Ah. It all connects. <laughs> <laughs> true that, true that. Okay, folks, let's take a short break here, discuss a few other fun things and housekeeping items before we get back to our fun Dunkin' Egg Dreams discussion, which will, in the second half, involve some of the actual dreams. We are in the midst of a drive to get Patreon signups. We don't have a big sponsor at the moment. It's a good time for that. Speaking of sponsors, though, one thing you will avoid in the future if you sign up for our Patreon and use the private Patreon RSS feed, which all patrons have access to at any level, you won't hear any ads. That's one of the main benefits of Patreon. I always like to say that our bonus episodes are the biggest benefit, but not having ads in any episode, whether it's the ones inserted by Spotify or whether it's the ones that we put in like this one. These get edited out for the Patreon versions. You have to actually listen to it on the Patreon feed. We can't remove it from the main feed and we can't do anything about the videos. The videos have ads in them, except when they're released early. So that's another benefit for y'all. Once again, that's patreon.com slash history of Westeros. You can sign up for any of the many levels there. The $2 level is going away soon. So sign up now before it goes away. Once it goes away, those of you already signed up at that $2 level will keep it. So you'll be grandfathered in and be able to keep that. We'll also be announcing pretty soon... When are we ever going to be grandmothered in, though? <laughs> Grandmothering in is a whole different thing. I don't, okay. I don't know exactly what, though. That's okay. when you get... I don't know. Is that when Cookies? you get... It's like, when you overthrow the patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. There you go. Old Nan, old Nan leading the charge there. <laughs> We're going to be announcing pretty soon some events for subscribers, whether you subscribe on Patreon or through Spotify. We'll provide a mechanism for people who sign up through that alternate method to get in involved with our game nights. So keep stay tuned for information on that. So Joe Magician, CK3, my friend. We had our first debut Ooh. of that just this Friday. CK3 is Crusader Kings 3. It is a big, highly developed game. 
for PC and other platforms, has a multi-year, huge effort mod made for it to turn it into Westeros. It is incredibly well-made, incredibly well-done. It puts mm. you right in the, in the middle of a dynasty. You rule that dynasty, whether it's you're the king of Westeros ruling the Iron Throne, whether it's just some lordling in a lesser house that you maybe never heard of. When you die, you take over as your heir. You do marriages. You do alliances. You do artifacts like Valyrian steel or crowns or book rare books or whatever. You do banners and personality and role-playing. It's a really... A lot of people say, oh my God, this game is too complicated for me, which <laughs> makes yeah. it a good spectator game <laughs> because <laughs> someone who actually knows what they're doing, it's pretty entertaining to watch. Like I've watched people play it and I, I know how to play it. It's, it's, just, it's just that good. So we're doing our streams have been on YouTube. They're moving to Twitch. The link should be in the description of this episode as well as the game stream episodes. You've been having fun with it too, huh? Yeah, we both got into the early access for creators. And so we saw it in a very raw form. Very raw, but... I, I uploaded a, quite a few very broken save files that they have since fixed all the problems with. My favorite one was that Liana was trapped in the Tower of Joy forever. She could never leave. <laughs> she could never die. John mm. could never leave. It was, she was just always there. She was permanently a part of the Tower of Joy. But yeah, it's a really fun game. I played a lot of the base game, Crusader Kings 3, a while back on my channel. Those are... Streams might still be up. I don't know if they are anymore. Plus hours in in CK3. (laughs) You do. Yeah. Are you looking at my Steam profile right now? No, I I have looked at it before. (laughs) She looked at it yesterday. I I looked at it. I I, I (laughs) did look at it recently and was like, damn, it's like over 500 hours. Anyways. The game just keeps going. There's always another turn. There's always another generation ready to come. So I am planning on playing it maybe on YouTube, maybe on Twitch. I don't know which one. Mm. Sometimes it tends to throw off YouTube if you stream on YouTube, but it's not your normal content. But anyway, um, I'm planning on making a video for it because a lot of people are moving over from never playing Crusader Kings 3 and coming straight from Crusader Kings 2. And it's a very different beast. Mm -hmm. There's There's a lot more to keep track of. The way it wants you to play the RPGs, like how do you win wars? How do you... What should you be building? What should your goal be going towards? Like there's a lifestyle tree now where you get like a lot of perks. There's dynasty perks. So basically, what I'm gonna I'm making a video. I actually have it written. I just have to actually like go ahead and make it. As with most of my channel, I just have to actually make things. <laughs> <laughs> I see your comments on my YouTube channel, uh, but it's basically gonna be how to get good at CK3, how to make things that you want to happen in the mod. How do you do it? Because a lot of times people start as like the king and then everything's fine. But what if, yeah, what if you start as a lesser lord? What if you start as a duke in the middle of the north? How do you go from there to the Iron Throne? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah, like what and that's something I'm really good at. Yeah. Like in base Crusader Kings, I actually get bored by how often I conquer the world. So I usually stop after taking <laughs> over like most of Europe. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Well, yeah, like, I can do like the rest real, of it if I want. It's just busy work. It's yeah, it a takes real more effort, uh, pinky yeah. in the brain kind of situation, right? What do you want to do tonight? You know, <laughs> same, thing we do every, yeah. same thing I do every night. Take <laughs> over the world. Yep. <laughs> exactly you. Yep. So yeah. for those of you who didn't watch the stream, just a real brief rundown of what happened. Right now, you can play... I guess given it's still in beta, there's not a lot of the available timelines to play. You can only play right around Robert's Rebellion, right before or after. When it's, once it's more developed, you'll be able to play in huge variety of timelines, like all the way prior mm. to the conquest, ancient times to modern times. We played Ned Stark during Robert's Rebellion, and it starts you at Gulltown, right before you attack Gulltown with Robert and John Aaron. So we did that. We, it went the way it goes in the books. Ned Stark 
We had him run back to Winterfell and call the banners. Apparently, we took too long. While we were calling the banners, <laughs> and I didn't, I don't think I did anything slow, but while we were calling the banners, waiting for the troops to come, the Battle of the Trident happened. Robert kills Rhaegar just as expected, but not expected is Jamie fails to stop Ares from detonating the wildfire. So King's Landing yeah. explodes entirely. <laughs> There's no King's Landing in our game. Best timeline. Because of little glitches in the AI, and it's still, like I said, it's in beta. It's got a few things to work out. The computer struggled to finish the war without King's Landing as a target. And we basically, Robert's Rebellion didn't end until the beginning of the books. And so basically like the year 298, Robert Rebellion should have been over for 16 years, but it just ended. (laughs) Other notable things is that Ned Stark was given the title the Winter Soldier. So he was Ned Stark, the Winter Soldier. So when he and when he was with John Aaron, they were the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's right. (laughs) But and the other funny thing is that Ned went down to Dorne. The Winter Soldier went to the desert and was immediately killed by Arthur Dane. Yeah, he did not win uh, at the Tower of Joy. Arthur Dane killed yeah. him. Because Howland Reed was dead at that point. Howland so Reed died no during one, the war. It's, yeah, he was just... Anyways, it was all very different. But no, Ned waited out almost like 18 years of war and then just died in Dorne to <laughs> an elderly Arthur Dane who was in prison. So it was really very weird. Other weird. people who died during the really long war included Stannis. Renly survived, but Stannis did not. Robert, of course, lived. Damn. Yeah. Sir, but yeah, but got that backwards. <laughs> but because the kingdom split, right? Because there there's no Iron Throne to unite it all. The kingdom is the Robert's Rebellion resulted in in a kingdom of the Stormlands, the Crownlands, Dorne, and the Reach. Tywin is king of the West, independent. Jamie, of course, blew up in mm-hmm. the wildfire thing. He married Cersei to Edmure. So Edmure is king yeah. of the Riverlands, but they have a marriage alliance. What's up? Yeah, and there's just a young John Aaron lived longer and had more kids with Lysa. So the, his young 10-year-old uh, son. She did. He, John Aaron did not have any yeah, other kids. Little fingers, right? yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, the, someone who is masquerading as John Aaron's child and it is the Lord of the Vale, like a 10-year-old. So it's still kind of like a Robert Aaron situation, but it's not actually Robert. And Bran is king of the North because young Rob died in the cradle. He didn't make it to adulthood. Oh. So we had another son and just, just to keep it consistent, we named him Bran. Anyway, so we'll see what happens. Tune in to us on Twitch if you want to see how where yeah, that May goes. 12th, Friday, May 12th, May 12th on right. twitch.tv slash history of Westeros. If you search us on the Twitch app, because we haven't streamed in like on Twitch in like three or four years, I just don't think we show up. Like, no, I, people have said they can't find us. I tried to find us and can't find us. But if you go to twitch.tv slash history of Westeros, you will find us. And probably once we stream once, we'll be back. Okay. Yeah. So, just, so just either way, we'll keep that. reminding you all, but that that's, yeah. it should be a lot of fun. We have a great time. A lot of people gather and it, it's a, like a fun <laughs> gathering of, of, of like-minded folks chatting and you all give me advice on what to do. It's, I call it the large council. Mm-hmm. Let's talk real briefly <laughs> about last night. Ashea and I, along with some friends, including Brand the Builder, Brand Winslow. Who did our intro, the House of the Dragon intro that y'all see during our, our those episodes. We went to the Atlanta Film Festival where George R. Martin was a guest because he produced one of the films that's being shown there called Night of the Cooters. And we watched Night of the Cooters. What the hell? Yeah. What a name. Okay, well, yeah. Night <laughs> that's of the Cooters, what we were saying, too. Uh, it's a Howard Waldrop story, a short, a short story, and so a short film, maybe half an hour. And it's filmed using Creoscope, which is this rotoscoping technique, kind of like a scanner darkly, kind of, you know, like that style. Undone. Like, there's a, a bunch of projects like that. 
It's live action, but animated. It's, it's a fusion of the two, really. Um, like Burton. Waking Life? Yeah, like, it's, yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, Rotoscope style. It's called Trioscope. Is the production company that's here in Atlanta that does it. But it's that style that uh, most of you should be familiar with of having seen something that's done it. So it was really very cool looking to see. Like, it's like a Western, a sci-fi Western. And, you know, there's there's space elements and Western elements and like deserts. And just the, the visuals just looked really good. It's very yeah. funny. And and the director and lead actor was Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Was just, oh, cool. He's just loves, you know, like a lot of actors, he likes doing these smaller yeah. things where they're, they get to be more creative and don't have all these like mm-hmm. restrictions put on them. And, and he was there as know. well? Yeah, he was there too. And so he and George were sitting next to each other talking to the crowd. And yeah, they, they clearly had a lot of fun with it. The premise of the film is in the War of the, the, War of the Worlds there was these canisters with the Martians in them that landed on Earth and started doing their thing. And these canisters were mostly landed around big cities. Like London was the one that was most prominently named, I think. Well, there's, if you read the story carefully, apparently there's some unaccounted for canisters. So some of these other canisters with Martians in there landed somewhere and they decided, well, what if it's Pechuga, Texas, where these canisters landed? <laughs> so Cooters is a nickname they give these Martians. <laughs> so, so, yeah. A couple other things about that. It's hilarious. About that little screening. One, the movie itself was good. Yeah, I highly recommend that when you have a chance. But George is also here in Atlanta for the weekend. The Atlanta Film Festival is going on all this week. So there's other events and a little tidbits that y'all might appreciate hearing. One is that I heard that t- today, I guess that it was tomorrow yet yeah, today, and there's a little film festival gala happening. George will be in attendance and he, another friend is going to be introducing him to Francis Ford Coppola. And George is very excited about that. <laughs> so I think that is nice to think about to like, you know, big icons meeting. And if you're curious what else George is doing in Atlanta, that's one. <laughs> the other thing he's doing is on Monday, he's going to the Braves game and he's going to call ball. To play yeah, ball. The, yeah, the play ball, yeah. yeah. So, that's right. If you're listening Support live and you're in Atlanta and you happen to have a reason to want to go to the Atlanta Braves game on Monday, well, George will be there. You know. <laughs> if you can stomach a Braves game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what else he's doing. And then he's moving, he's going on up to Illinois. So if you're in the Illinois area, they will be at some different film festivals there. So you might have a chance to see Night of the Cooters and hear George speak. So I would keep an eye out on his blog and check that out if you're up there. Yeah. Absolutely. One last note. The place we saw this was it's called the Rialto Theater. and Ashe Rialto and I were, Center for the Arts. Rialto Center for the Arts. Yes. And 11 years ago, Ashe and I were there to see the, the premiere of season two. That was the last of time Game we of were Thrones, there. Yes. Oh. Yeah, special so screening. Neat. And at, this, cool. at the event we went to, they brought that up, actually. They were like the first event that they had with this new screen. They had, they had a new screen for that. And then 11 years, and now they have a new, this this screening of Night of the Cooters was the first thing they showed on the new screen. And that episode of Game mm-hmm. of Thrones was also the first thing they showed on that old new screen. Anyway. You guys would wreck their budget if you went more often. You'd have to get a new screen like every week. That's a good point. <laughs> it's actually just for you guys. Yeah. Oh my God, Aziz and Ashe are showing up. New screen. Uh, all right, let's get back to Duncan Egg. Yeah. Uh, first of all, a few questions from Oh, y'all. yeah, that's what we were doing. Yeah, yeah Duncan Egg, we something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Kirsty Angel sends a super chat, says, Duncan Trial of Seven says, quote, his wooden finger, referring to his lance, after he sits under his tree, elm, which is an elm tree, right, which is the one that is in his sigil, doesn't know where he's from, lies about knighthood and takes some of Rohan's hair, is Dunk like Pinocchio. Lies and he's a green childlike. He's a Woden slash Odin finger, the wooden finger, Lord of Underworld, Elm, the Night's King, gold hair on Night's King sword in the show, 
or Puppet Master? Is he good or mayhaps evil? Well, I think it's kind of hard to see Dunk as evil, but I do think, you know, there, it's just a, a way to maybe show that even good people have to tell lies sometimes. I mean, you know, honesty is, we all like to tell the truth all the time, but in reality, the truth is not appropriate. You don't just like yell out the truth at random moments. There's diplomacy and being with when you tell people things. And yeah, so I don't think he's evil, but I think that, in fact, I'd say he's probably one of the goodest characters in, in the novels. <laughs> but even good people have yeah, to do... He's like Brienne. Yeah, even good people have to do things that maybe would fall in a vacuum into the evil category from time to time. It is an evil world he lives in, sort of. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? Dunk. Well, Dunk has to fight dirty. He has to lie sometimes. He clearly, at some point, does break some vows. Well, it depends on when he actually has those kids, but it's pretty certain the way George is going about it. The, oh, well, the question is, of course, did he actually swear them? Is he breaking anything? But, you know, Dunk is supposed to stay there as sort of a, a, a character who is kind of straddling, you know, what, what's right and what's, what he has to do to survive. And that makes him put him, it puts him into a lot of very, very human scenarios where he has to do things that he doesn't want to do, but he kind of has to. He's al- almost always undercover too. Like in every story, doesn't he have like a false name at some point? Very often, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of who he is. He's, he's not only good, he's not evil, he's, he's dunk. It, makes you, it, make, it brings up some ethical conundrums, like if you're going to starve or you can mm. steal something and not starve, well, what's, which is worse? Letting yourself starve is arguably even less ethical than stealing food from someone that has enough food to, that you're not going to kill them by stealing their food. Or stealing a knighthood. Sure, yeah. There's a difference between what is, I don't know, theoretically good or morally correct, whatever, and what's expected by some social construct like knighthood, right? Dunk seems to be more definitively moral, whatever being a knight is supposed to mean. He's just moral, you know? And even if he lies, in my opinion, lying in and of itself is not evil. I think to do something evil, you have to be actively hurting somebody. Accidentally hurting someone isn't evil. And telling a lie that doesn't hurt anyone even if it's an act of lie, it still is not. Yeah, like, like a surprise be, party. You have yeah. to lie to someone to have a surprise party. Like, how's that evil? <laughs> right. You know, right. or, or so evil. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like we bring up, we bring <laughs> up like <laughs> we bring up like Santa Claus. That's the like evilest that. like, thing you've ever you know. done for me. Is he's... <laughs> <laughs> it is evil if they don't want to surprise party. <laughs> no, I don't evil. think it's evil even then. No, honestly. it's just wrong. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just a bad idea. <laughs> a mistake. Yeah, mistakes aren't evil. Like Sean said. Yeah. Intent is, you're right. Intent is uh, is a big part. I mean, of yeah, like technically, giving the example of the surprise party, if you, if I had told you ahead of time, hey, I don't want a surprise party after we stream, please never do that. <laughs> and then you did that, it would be kind of messed up, but still not really evil because like it's not causing me it'd that be, much. It'd like, be jerky. Yeah, it'd be jerky, it'd be rude, but like maybe. evil yeah, is yeah. even further than like just messing with someone or doing something they don't like. Like evil is like causing, like having great ill intent and wanting to hurt them and like, I mean, to me, evil is like even like that defines you. Like that yeah. isn't just like a thing you do something one time. You if you if, I don't know. If you want to make it less binary, more like a spectrum. Like yeah. if evil is the end of the spectrum, like it's maybe on the spectrum, but like super at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> he's barely off white. Like he's the one of the closest to like just full pure white that we have in the whole series. So no, I would not call. I, I would not say that he is at evil. all evil. Yeah. This discussion aside, though, it is still an interesting parallel that they're making to Pinocchio, and you know, it's a, it is a 
noteworthy. I, I agree. Think, even yeah. if it, you know, Bring yeah. it back to the Pinocchio thing. That is a good, I like that like comparison. I know we in general like comparing other works to George's works and, and seeing Well, then you got another, another great super chat from Kirstie Angel that does more comparing. Okay, let's keep it going then. She says, Blood Raven and the Thousand Eyes and One, linking that to Arabian Nights, Thousand and One Nights. What do we think of Old Nan? As the as a comparison to Shahrazad, the storyteller in A Thousand One Nights, and the Raven's teeth are like Sandman's Corinthian. He has teeth for eyes, and he's a nightmare made flesh. Unfortunately, I don't know Sandman. I don't know the character Corinthian. I do know a little bit about Arabian Nights, and that is a pretty interesting. Yeah, because the Shahrazad is like real. Isn't isn't it really really old as well? Isn't that an ancient being? If I remember correctly, it's the worst magic card ever made. Yeah, Shahrazad is the worst magic card. Ever made. That's true. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The thousand and one does kind of conjure images of that. And the thousand and one eyes, each one could tell its own story. And each one is watching an entirely different thing. And they're all unique and individual. I like that. Any other takes on that? I guess kind of this one small thing is that when you guys talked to George, you guys tried to bring up a bunch of references you thought he oh, was yeah. talking about in in, a, in the night fort. And he's like, no, no, I didn't like, oh, do that. that so. unintentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he's yeah, just I mean, a like, genius. He, it's he just that simple. From, he just yeah. he just has all of this in his brain that he, he, he says, <laughs> ultimately. He, he references stuff. Sometimes he doesn't. And just because it doesn't have to be valuable because George is actually referencing it. It can just be a cool thing for you to notice. It, yeah. This is like, I doubt a lot of this is intentional, but you know. It doesn't need to be. In, it's yeah, still it fun to find things. Yeah, it doesn't need to be intentional for it to be interesting, cool, make you think for you to yeah, think yeah. about. Yeah, it does not need to be intentional at all. You're right. I like the idea of Raven. Like Raven's teeth is a is a nightmare concept because yeah, Raven obviously birds don't have teeth, but uh, it's scary to think about them. Uh, <laughs> my nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it is, terrible. It's pretty nightmarish. <laughs> <laughs> A long-expected soundscape says, how much do you think they'll end up weaving in Aegon's dream to keep that through line running? I think they're very... I mean, they're going to include it. I think they'll include it a decent Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. I wonder... My question is how much they'll include right away. Will it be something they start throwing in right away? Because Egg doesn't... Like, Egg doesn't really start talking about his dreams right away. Dara, we have Daron the Drunkard's dreams, like, straight off. Like, episode one, probably. Because he meets Daron, like, page four. <laughs> it's like the next thing that happens after... He instantly starts talking about it. Yeah, yeah, he buries Sir Arlen, says the words, then he walks for a little bit, boom. At the end, Darren the drunkard right there. That's it. It's, like, it's the next thing. And then he meets Egg five minutes later in the stable. So I think it's very likely. I think we're going to see maybe... It's one of the things Joe Magician talked about, that they could expand the story to show other things happening, maybe have dreams. Maybe we don't see Egg, but we see his dream. And that's a way to kind of introduce us to these characters and introduce other characters who are dreaming. Maybe we see Eamon have a dream. Maybe Daron's the one maybe to focus on because his dreams are actually prophetic. We don't know that the other Targaryens of his, of his siblings had prophetic dreams. We know they, quote unquote, dreamt of dragons, as Eamon said in that opening quote, but he's being metaphorical in some cases. We don't know for sure that these dreams were prophetic or they're just having dreams of dragons that keep popping up into their heads. Like, like Eamon himself seems to be having when he says, I hear their hot breath and then leathern wings and all that. Mm-hmm. He's not having prophetic dreams. He's maybe, I mean, maybe you could argue they are because he's having those dreams because the dragons have come back and he's, the presence is causing him to have those dreams, but it's not really prophecy. There's not predicting event. There's no future being told here. It's just, Dragons are in his dreams, right? Whereas Daron is specifically dreaming of Dunk and the shadow and all these other mm-hmm. actual things that actually come to pass. So I think there's a distinction to be made there. 
And I think this is maybe where we'll get into some of that with without the dragons, without For the sure. others, they have more without the kingdom being torn apart by civil war. We might actually get to focus on this aspect, which has always been really important. So I feel like they'll include a lot of it. What do you guys think? Um, mm-hmm. Any specific ideas? Well, I think for might? sure. I think that's one of the areas they could definitely expand on, especially with uh, Blackfire retcons that are almost certainly coming yeah. to the Hedge Knight. This could be a good one too, especially since they're spinning it off seemingly from their own writing team at House of the Dragon. I would expect them to connect the two a lot more than, than they are within the actual texts. Right on. Yeah, I feel like there's a precedent being set in House of the Dragon to focus on these dreams. Probably, if not under the direction of, under the acceptance of George. And it makes sense that any way they can tie the shows into each other, they will. And this is a good one. Even potentially tying it back. I even wonder, this probably isn't like a completely new theory, but it was new to me, I don't know, sometime in the past few months. The idea that like, some of Egg's dreams, like almost all these dreams are guaranteed to get misinterpreted in different ways, right? And some of the dreams that Egg might have had or Darren might have had of like dragons being hatched, they part of the vision or the image would have been like this bald boy. Even with Egg being grown up, he still images of him as a young bald boy might be represented in a dream. But that might also look like Danny when she hatched her dragons. And so I can easily see lots of these expectations or visions or whatever hatching dragons were being juxtaposed by the dreamers and their interpreters with what Danny actually did. And there's no reason for Game of Thrones, for HBO to not want to tie in their original series. Yeah. You know, they will be elated if new people watching Dunkin' Egg are then motivated to watch Game of Thrones because they tied in some uh, reference so like, to Danny. You know? My question here is like, do you think that there's a chance that we would see some of these visions and dreams? Like how we're talking about seeing flashbacks. Actual scenes? See, yeah, actual scenes. I was going to ask the I same think question, they might sure. even cut in scenes of Game of Thrones. That's what we're saying, yeah. yeah into yeah. the visions. Yeah. There might be like just images that already exist from the last Show Danny at the pyre. Yeah, show Danny walking into the fire. Yeah. Like yeah. from in, in, in a blurred out image from behind, you know. So, like, yeah. like how they did in season six where brands having burned them all. All like those, like those were, that was of the past. Although yeah. the one maybe was of the future of the dragon shadow over King's Landing. Like that exact thing could be in but Egg's dream. If there's like this dream. rapid fire images and some of them are kind of out of focus and from a weird angle and super fans who know the story and watch Game of Thrones eight times, they'll recognize, they'll pause, play, pause, play and get that image. But like, oh, which will spark all kinds of discussion online. Every podcast will talk about it. And why would HBO not want that? Yeah, you know? I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because Sean, you just described one of my old most popular videos. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the thing about the, my video, Hires and Blood, the True Cause of the Tragedy of Summer Hall. Basically, everything you just said is in that. I published this four years ago, I think about something like that. But yeah, exactly. The idea of the uncertainty of dreams. Duncan Egg is one of the primary things I pulled from. Exactly what you're talking about. The uncertainty of Daron's dreams versus what actually happens. I talked about a lot about that a lot in my House of the Dragon videos about this, where I, I talked about Aegon's dream and then Viserys's dream and how like he thinks it's about one kid, but it's actually about the other. And what he thinks is like going to fight the others is probably going to be is about Aegon rebelling and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. I, you you nailed a lot of the points. It's even down to the thing about Danny being bald as she comes out of the pyre. That's that was one of the things in my video where that was if you. Summer Hall side by side with Danny, you, you get the same imagery. You get fire, you get eggs, you get fire, you get a king, and then you get somebody walking out of the flames with dragons. 
you can definitely see how Aegon may have seen Danny and then been like, that's me. Yeah, that's it's talking me. about me. I'm the one yeah. bringing him back. That's a me. Exactly. Egg. Nailed it, Sean. <laughs> it's a Man, me, I didn't even need to make that video. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really, that's a good segue into what are some scenes from the Hedge Knight that we're looking forward to on TV. What we've just imagined are scenes that aren't in the Hedge Knight that would make sense to fit in given these other topics we've raised and what we kind of what we expect, what are some of our, what we believe they're, they're going to want to do. But things that we know are in there. Let's talk about that and things that we're looking forward to and, and things that, that are highlights like that. Obviously, you know, dragons, specifically, they're like we've said, there might be some in dreams. Not a huge number of locations. Decent-sized cast, though, because it is a tournament. There's be a lot of number of people there. They want to all be, there'll be a lot of extras doing sort of medieval stuff in the background, like hammering on some wood or slaughtering some animal or tanning some hide or, I don't know, armor, swords, and horses, things like that. We've got a list of things here we'll run through. Folks, you chime in as well. Y'all watching on the t- in the video, in the comments, chime in with the ones you think are going to be particularly excellent if you don't hear us say them. First sight of Ashford in the distance. You know, with all the, the people gathered, the tourney grounds will have been constructed already. There'll be a lot of tents and pavilions and, and lords that have showed up to prepare. Interior of the castle should look pretty cool. Here's an example just from the text. After describing the distance between the Blacken, Blacken, I always do that. Bracken and Blackwood t- tents is like, they, their tents are as far away from each other as possible. He goes on to note the following, quote. Marbrand, Malister, Cargyle, Westerling, Swan, Mullendore, Hightower, Florent, Frey, Penrose, Stokeworth, Daffy, Perrin, Wild. It seemed as though every lordly house of the West and South had sent a knight or three to Ashford to see the fair maid and brave the lists in her honor. Daffy? Daffy, duh. <laughs> Is that really Daffy? How's Daffy? That's a new one. Yeah, I never noticed Is that Daffy. a mystery? Maybe that should be dairy or something. Maybe it should be dairy. It might should be dairy. I was like, <laughs> Daffy, like dairy. I, it should be dairy. I thought that's why I was like, that's why I said it. I was like, I don't think there's a Daffy. I don't but think there's a house it Daffy. It definitely yeah. was pasted in here as Daffy. Yeah. Very funny. Our I can say that again if you care, but I will leave it. It's funny for people to amuse, be amused by us. <laughs> I won't reread it. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm going to fix it in our quote, though. This this makes me think of Sir Dantos, where he's talking to Sansa after the Battle of the Blackwater, where the army of the West comes and smashes into Stannis from behind. And he's like, the banners, the banners. It's what I picture with this, like all those fancy houses that Shea listed, even the one that probably doesn't exist like that. <laughs> and there's also Tully and Tyrell and Lannister and Baratheon. The laughing storm is going to be there. I mean, that huge man, like what's he going to look like? That's going to be cool. Here's an example. A large party of knights and mounted archers poured through the gates. A hundred men at least, riding some of the most splendid horses that Dunk had ever seen. Some great lord has come. He grabbed the arm of a stable boy as he ran past. Who are they? The boy looked at him queerly. Can't you see the banners? He wrenched free and hurried off. The banners. As Dunk turned his head, a gust of wind lifted the black silk pennon atop the tall staff, and the fierce three-headed dragon of House Targaryen seemed to spread its wings, breathing scarlet fire. The banner bearer was a tall knight in white scale armor chased with gold a pure white cloak streaming from his shoulders. Two of the other riders were armored in white, 
from head to heel as well. Kingsguard Knights with the royal banner. Yeah, we've got the Kingsguard there. I think that's either Donald or, of Duskendale or Roland Craycall holding the, the banner. Those two are there during it. And there's a third one there as well. This is, uh, Joe, you've got a few ones listed here. What are some of your oh, yeah. cinematic moments you're looking forward to? Those should be really cool. The All the banners and stuff like that should be awesome to see, especially because they put in a lot of detail in House of the Dragon in their tourney scene, putting in characters and houses that never showed up for the rest of the, sh- the show so far. Yeah. Just like random ones in there just to make us happy. Yeah, so like I'm assuming they'll do the, the same attorney. thing. Yeah, like we were like, it's like, what? Oh, a Bolton well, came to King's Landing? That's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And also the Stark that lost his face. Yeah. Ooh, all that oof, other kind of fun dang. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the good ones should be obviously Dunk, absolutely decking Aryan Bright Flame, protecting Tancel. Yeah. Very much a taking down the, the bourgeois, <laughs> bourgeoisie by the common punch. man. Love to see that. <laughs> Take down the feudal lords. Him sitting underneath the tree and seeing the falling star become a sigil that you guys are all wearing. That's a, that's a very cinematic scene. That should make a very good like wide shot of that happening. I agree. Also, Tansel making his shield. That's one of the yeah. cool things that he carries around that sigil forever as a as an homage to her, and that he goes looking for her. You know, it's always reminding him. That should be a great one. I want to buy this too. They're definitely going to make a prop of it. Oh, yeah. And I want to buy it. <laughs> I'd love to see a scene like a Better Call Saul sort of scene where they sometimes they have almost like a little short story that it's been three or five minutes on some little image or moment or creation that then becomes a piece later in the episode. I don't oh, know yeah, how many okay. Better Call Saul fans are out there, but I wouldn't mind actually witnessing a couple moments of the painting process and the sword, the shield being built and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm down for see that. I want to see that. Yeah, I like your your calls here, Joe. And then I'm just looking forward to seeing the marketplace, just however they decide to design that. That should be good. I keep mentioning it, but I'm particularly looking forward to what they do for that. Yeah, I brought it up at the beginning, but yeah, for me, it's it's the puppets. It's it's mm-hmm. whether they do it as elaborately as I as I dream of or not. We will see a puppet show, and it will be meta and and, and cool. <laughs> like I will I will get that. But they could make it really. You guys heard epic. it here. Ashea loves puppets. I know, I do. I mean, I actually loves do. Puppets. You can big puppets. The Center fan. for Puppetry Arts is in no, Atlanta. No, yeah, I go I, to the Center for Puppetry Arts. Love going the there. Loves if a good you puppet. were to look at my bookshelf, I have a stack of books about puppets in the dark crystal. I I do actually think puppetry. Yeah. I mean, you look at you look at old movies and TV shows that use puppets, and those those age so much better than when they use like CGI and stuff. Physical. Puppets are better. So anyways, yeah, I do. You, you, you didn't hear it here first. You heard it here for probably the dozenth time, honestly. Like, it's not first at all. First for me. Uh-huh. Joe, I didn't pay attention. Joe Magician now picked a couple, of, like, oh, a couple of good quotes here as oh, yeah. well that are uh, we're looking um, seeing the way some good actor delivers these lines. Oh, for sure. There's Darren the Drunkard, who actually they probably need to put a lot of good casting time to getting him right because he's a he's a hard character to portray. When they put him into the graphic novel, even the way they put him in there didn't I don't know, it didn't quite feel right mm. the way they portrayed him. Okay. But he's 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 a very he's a very subtle character. And his best line by far is my dreams are not like yours, Sir Duncan. Mine are true. Mm. And getting that one right and how he's talking about them and how he's relating it to his internal angst is something that's gonna be really hard to pull off. And I hope they do well. Also, Steely Pate, he has a lot of good conversations with Dunk. He says, what am I to them? And Steely Pate says, a knight who remembered his vows. Cinematic, Ooh, Matt, yeah. right there. People love that And of one. course, I, 
It's a really good one. And I think the one that they'll probably start the show off with if they don't do your guys' good idea about Brand reading the book is obviously Dunk burying Sir Arlen. Mm-hmm. The way that's described in The Hedge Knight is it's so haunting and you, the rain coming down and he's trying to dig into it and he's thinking about the loss of basically his father because that's who Sir Arlen is to him. And going from that to the tourney, going from the extreme sadness he's feeling to the elation and going back into the the world, it's there's a lot to it. And you can I can just sort of see it in my mind already, like the dark and the the rain coming down and dunk covered in mud. It should be fantastic. Yeah. He'll it'll be play up a little bit and like he'll be maybe struggling if he's I don't mm. know if they'll have him cry or have him like on the verge tears of tears or yeah, tears in the rain. Yeah, you're gonna be maybe you won't be able to tell if he's crying because it's raining. That's yeah, it's one of the reasons they do that sometimes. And Terrible day for rain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just rub, wiping the water out of my eyes. It's not tears. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that could be really, really powerful. I agree. That's super, super interesting. In that first scene, there's a line that helps set the tone. Presumably, they'll, they'll keep some of, if not all of his monologue there, his eulogy. At least he lived to see another spring because it's not, it's not actually cold anymore. The night he got a chill and died, but it wasn't from winter. And that's, that's the kind of line that is... A little more Westerosi than, you know, <laughs> than another spring isn't as big a deal in the real world. That's only one year, whereas this is several years, potentially. I most look forward to seeing the true and 100% canon scene of Arlen Knighting. <laughs> He'll remember yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. sure. Sure he will. Sure. <laughs> we'll see that. I like the moment. Remember the moment from the book where Raymond Fossaway gets Dunk to come have a, a, a drink of wine with him. He's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're worthy. You can be with among us. Of course you are. You're a knight, you know? And he's de- describing the sons of, of Makar one by one. He's like, and the fourth son, well, he... And then Egg runs in <laughs> the tent. And it's like, hey, I'm the fourth. He doesn't say that, obviously, but... That'll be a great moment. Yeah, and he's like, my brother is... I was like, or Daryl... He doesn't say my brother. He says, Arian's attacking the puppeteer or whatever. And of course, the tournament itself it could have some moments. That should be pretty spectacular. It's interesting to see that like all three shows will have a tournament pretty early on. House of the Dragon, episode one. It won't be episode one in The Hedge Knight, but it, it will be probably episode two or three. And I mean, there's a lot of jousting in this event. It, it's wild how mm. long, like it just goes into montage version at one point. He's just thinking about this many duels and this many jousts and Humphrey Harding wins 14 jousts before facing Arian who kills his horse and breaks his leg and, and all that stuff. I'm wondering how they're going to do that. The, the killing of, of the horse, like Damon does that to Gawain Hightower in House of the Dragon. He doesn't kill mm-hmm. the horse. He just kind of trips it, which is still a dirty trick. I wonder if they'll be a little more graphic with this one and, but it'll be easier to tell, for example, that they soft play Valar, that they kind of lose to him on purpose and, you know, Dunk suspects it. It's in his inner monologue, but they're not going to do an inner monologue. You know, I don't think. I you mean, sure? they do that. They do occasionally do that. It's unlikely. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't be hundred percent sure they won't do that, but it seems unlikely. This could be the one they do. You'll have him like noticing that this guy's. They'll be observed. Maybe he talks to some other person in the crowd. They'll be like just some random person. He's like, "Well, that sure didn't look like he tried very hard there." You know, because we know that they're not trying to beat Valar. They want Valar to win, and it kind of reminds us maybe of how Rhaegar may have been soft-played in some spots before, even though he was actually capable. We don't actually know if Valar is a good warrior. We know Rhaegar was, but hmm, who knows? Also, the Knight's Tale, when the Black Prince was discovered and everyone surrendered to him. 
So they just let him win. I see here, Gilsey Undertaker says, Ron Howard to voice Dunk's inner monologue. I actually would love the idea Perfect. if they like Nailed actually it. did like <laughs> a narration monologue yeah. or something for the show. It would actually be very nice. <laughs> it's not... I, I, I'm struggling to come up with other examples, but I, I know there are a lot. Uh, the Wonder Years had it. Mm. Right now, Lucky Hank is doing that, so... What, have an narr- narration? Inner monologue. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's lots yeah. of shows that have inner monologue, for sure. I mean, depending on how they decide to do it. But yeah, there's definitely many. But generally, those are more comedic in tone, for the most part. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's some exceptions, but it is generally... I, I, would be, I would be surprised if they went that route for that reason. If they're trying to not lean into humor. The monologue is more for humor. I don't know. Yeah. A couple of important lines here. Here's one that you like from Egg, right, Joe Magician? Oh, yeah. He just starts screaming when Arian's in the jest. Kill him, kill him. He's right there. It's like, you okay? <laughs> well, What's our, going on, man? That's our favorite thing that Egg does. He, he, it's not the only time that he, he yells something. He's like, kill him, kill him. He's right there. He's right there. Yeah, Egg has a few in like each of the short stories. I remember when we went through and we pointed him out, Sean. That I seem to remember there was even one time where he said, get him, get him. Yeah. instead of yeah. kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, there's, it's a yeah. frequent thing is, is egg, egging killing. Dunk on, like literally mm-hmm. egging him on. Especially against Arian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kill that bastard. Yeah. I hate him. <laughs> kill him. Kill All him. right, fair enough, Egg. <laughs> Another one that will be just pow- really powerful is Dunk saying, are there no true knights among you? I almost got choked up saying it. It's going to be so good. And then what happens? Quote, a black stein emerged from out of the river mists. Black Knight on his back. Dunk saw the dragon shield and the red enamel crust upon his helm with its three roaring heads. Baylor shows up and it's like, whoa, man, Baylor is going to join. Wow. And of course, at first, Dunk thinks it's Valar because it's Valar's armor. So they may play with that a little bit to make us not realize it's Baylor. Then, of course, the actual trial of seven. I mean, that's going to be pretty spectacular, I would think. They're going to have to show a lot more than we get to see because a lot of Dunk doesn't actually see much of what's happening around him because he's so busy with Arian. He starts off getting knocked off his horse and in the mud, gets his head smacked by Morningstar. So he's really, and he's, and he's got his, as this quote tells us right away, the helmet he's wearing makes it hard to see other things anyway. So us seeing it all as a whole, it's going to be a much different experience than this narrative POV style, which here's this quote to kind of frame that for us. Prince Baylor was to his right and Sir Lionel to his left, but the narrow eye slit of the great helm limited Dunk's vision to what was directly ahead of him. The viewing stand was gone and likewise the small folk crowding the fence. There was only the muddy field, the pale blowing mist, the river, town, and castle to the north, and the princeling on his gray charger with flames on his helm and a dragon on his shield. Dunk watched Arian's squire hand him a war lance, eight feet long and black as night. Arian standing over Dunk taunting him will give us some Oberyn mountain vibes, especially given how big Dunk is, except Mm. with a similar result. The person on the ground actually ends up winning, except we're actually rooting for that guy. (laughs) (laughs) The the taunter. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That's exciting. And you point out the ending as well is going to be really powerful too, huh? Yeah, the, the ending conversation just between Makar and Dunk, where he convinces him to let Egg come with him, talking about how he has spoiled his kids rotten, how you know Egg needs to see more of this world if he wants to be a better person. And it's 
very, very similar to Davos talking to Stannis. That's a, that's part that's like the the specific conversations where he asks him to speak truth to him to a guy like Makar and Stannis are very very similar pe- people as it were. And it's also you also get to hear, you know, the the talking truth to power, which is usually something people get their tongues ripped out for in Westeros. And it's like the special expect, exception exception for Dunk because he just is this good person and people listen to him who normally wouldn't. I think that's a, a really powerful and it'll be very cinematic when they show it. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's move into some of the backfilling, some of the retcon stuff that really needed to be in the hedge night, but George hadn't fleshed it out yet. Mostly Blackfire stuff. Let's get into some detail with that. I think one of the really easy ways to get started with that, which is kind of a, a, an odd thing that's missing from the hedge night, is why does he have the nickname Breakspear? Usually you would explain why someone has a nickname, like, where did he get that nickname? Even if it's just like one line or two, like, oh, he got that nickname because of this, but it's not explained. He's just Baylor Breakspear. And we find out later it's because he broke with his brother's help. Makar did, was the, was the anvil and he was the hammer. Baylor was breaking the, the spear wall of Black Dragon supporters during the Battle of the Redgrass Field. So that could be a very easy way to get into Blackfire discussions is just, Someone talk about why he's called Breakspear. There's a number of things get explained, why people have certain nicknames or why people are this or that. Very straightforward way to, to broach the subject. You know, we did an episode on tournaments. We sure One did. thing we pointed out there was like how many and how quickly they get featured in all the books and the show. And in this one, like it's, there, maybe there won't be a tournament in episode one, but the whole season is pretty much just about this tournament, you know? <laughs> and, and one reason to have these tournaments is because, you know, you get this convergence of, heroes and leaders and characters and this potential drama, but also because it's a really good excuse for what might otherwise be very contrived dialogue to have one character talking to another character, pointing out and introducing all the other characters so that the audience learns who they are. It's A tournament is a very natural place for that type of conversation to happen. And I can see it being a background conversation between you know some traveler and the crowd getting informed on what's going on or egg explaining it to dunk. There's a lot of great potential in this tournament setting to fill in backstory. Good point. Yeah. Joe Magician, you as, as well mentioned the Bracken and Blackwood stuff as an example. Yeah. Like, use that as a way to pivot to discussing long-running feuds or civil conflicts because they, they're a good example of that, of two sides that could pivot into a larger conflict that's in the recent past, like Blackfire Rebellions. Oh yeah, and for sure, because House of the Dragon, minor spoiler, the Blackwoods and Brackens, they got the introduction at Storm's End because they're about to be a big part of the show. Not to say how. Don't worry, Sean, we're good. Uh, <laughs> they end up, that, that rivalry ends up being a big part of it. And it's something that should be here in this tournament because as you said, the Blackwoods and Brackens are here. And we know that they ended up on separate sides of the Blackfire Rebellion. So as you're introducing the Blackfires, they are by far the most convenient way to demonstrate it, to give these characters names, to have them set up in opposition, maybe have them be in like little cliques during this, have it be a background thing that's going on, have Dunk involved, maybe foreshadow Vi- Village Hero if we Ooh, ever get to that I point. Like that idea. And especially, this is the one I really like, if they're committed to making sure that this connects the House of the Dragon, they could bring up Willem Blackwood and Gerald Bracken and their duel at Storm's End and how that has become yeah. a very small thing at the time, but has become the thing of legends, the thing this feud is now based around. You know, justice for Willem, justice for Gerald, that kind of thing. 
is that is that a certain will that be a part of this? That's pretty cool because as a, as it stands, there was a recent murder, not murder, but a killing of a Blackwood and attorney by the Otho Bracken, yeah. the root of Bracken, and that's something that immediately Dunk thinks of. So that could he could just add that to the tail end of what you just said. Say this is the latest atrocity in that long running feud that dates back to Gerald and then before that, et cetera. So yeah, it's a really good idea because yeah, you're totally right. There's a lot. It's not just them. The Brackens and Blackwoods represent a big part of the great bastards angle who was you know, obviously mm-hmm. Blood Ravens exactly. Blackwood and Blackwood and Bitter Steel well. is a Bracken. So that's huge, which brings us to the central <laughs> missing thrust here. We've talked about the existence of some of these other characters in the Blackfire Rebellions, but Blood Raven is actually working in King's Landing at this point. He's not quite hand yet. He will be right after the story, so he will be for the second and third stories. But he's a war hero. King Daron likes him. He already has Dark Sister. He already has the Raven's Teeth. I mean, the Raven's Teeth were at the Blackfire, or were at the Redgrass Field. So he had them way back then. He's been established for quite a while. So it'll be really interesting to see. I kind of doubt he'll appear, but he'll be talked about. But he might appear. He might. They might show him at court. They might. Who knows what other scenes they'll show? What do you? What do you think? You think they'll show him? You, you, how do you think? I mean, certainly, uh, eventually they will. But in this first season, I think I think he'll show up during the season at some point. Whether we're talking about flashbacks, whether we're talking about him physically there. I mean, they could always pull the Maynard Plum and have him show up in disguise. But there's no real point for that mm. at this point because he's not spy master. He's not hand of the king. He's just an important guy at court. But this, remember, you, you talked about the quote about how the King's Guard are here, all the princes are here. It'd be supernatural for Bloodraven to show up here along with the rest of the court, especially because we know him as a character. He keeps, tra- he keeps tabs on them. He watches the rest of the princes. He watches the next heirs to the throne. He's clearly, like, he shadows Egg all throughout the mystery night. So it'd be perfectly in character for him to be here, but in the background, more like a Lair Strong type. And then as they eventually build him up more. We hear, we learn about him more in the Sworn Sword until he finally shows up in the Mystery Knight as the fully realized hand of the king that we know. He's such an important character this time. And especially the Dunkin' Egg stories, like Dunk thinks about him a lot. He's he terrified of him. He remembers seeing him in King's Landing. It, there's a general shadow behind Blood Raven's wings that hangs over Westeros. And it starts in the Hedge Knight. This is when it should be starting. And it'd be great to see him have that a character arc throughout the show rather than just having him appear like George does in the mystery night. Yeah, I think it's a great seed to plant in the first season. Like even if he's not a featured character, at least have him on screen, say his name out loud. Okay, so let's, let's, do, let's go around. Let's, let's do a little weigh in. Say, do you think Blood Raven will be cast in season one or season two? I say yes, but as Maynard Plum. I say Maynard Plum will be cast in season one. <laughs> I'll say season two I think he'll be in, in flashback. I'll say no for season one. I say I think it's a great idea. I don't think he'll be in season one. I think it'll be like I think it's a great idea, but I'm, like I think they'll probably just want to wait to cast until they like really really use him. Even though I I think they would be better off if they like built him up as like this is a POV character in this tale. I just don't. I think, think they so. could foreshadow his presence by showing ravens. Shot of a raven on a tree looking at Dunk or something oh, like yeah. that. That, yeah, that would, would be, be cool. Mm-hmm. They could do things like that. Or watch I mean, egg. I think he'll be name dropped be more than he would have been. Like maybe brought up a lot. I think it would be cool if they had episodes, if they had if they had arcs where we see what's up in King's Landing and elsewhere. Oh, and we see yeah. Shiera Sea Star. We see mm. all these things. Like, yeah, I think that would be great. I don't know if I think six episodes is what gives them that much extra time. Like, I don't think I think it'll be there. 
So you are a yes on that, Joe Magician? I think they will, mostly because, again, like the, as we were saying early on, the hedge night is they're probably going to be looking for things to include to get to six episodes if they're doing full hour long like they do for the regular thing. And this is not only just for Blood Raven, but again, CRC star, but also maybe Egg's sisters, Dale and Ray. Or are we talking about the rest? If they're if they're going to bring the Blackwoods more into focus, that could be a way to bring in Blood Raven. I think seeing like yeah. more family life, but I think they would hold back the big casting of certain characters. But the, yeah, seeing like Egg and his sisters or something like I think that would actually be a great way to show some backstory and show like Targaryens. What if we saw Mia or Gwenys or both of them, Blood yeah. Raven's sister? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Those would be great. That'd be cool. Sean, you were talking about the need for a character to give exposition. Boy, isn't that Blood Raven? Imagine if he yeah. was standing or there telling everybody plum. about what was going on. Yeah. yeah. If he was a knowledgeable guy in the crowd and Dunk didn't recognize him, but Egg did, that would make it even more interesting. That's cool. I like it. Yeah. So this is really good. There's just some good ideas. You all can see how there's so much to play with here and there's so many ways for them to introduce these characters. Like they may not even mention Bittersteel. I figure they will, but like it's far more important to oh, mention yeah, Raven and Damon and maybe Shiera. And it's another example of how George might contribute to the writing. They may say, George, we think it's too out of nowhere for Manor Plum and Blood Raven to come up three years later. We want to plant that seed now. How can we do it? And then he comes up with a way to have a conversation with Manor Plum or whether Egg recognizes. Yeah, or he says, yeah, like they ask that. And George says, oh, well, at that time, Blood Raven was really busy doing this. And he tells them a little bit of context about Mm, personal things going on in his life and at court. And then they're like, oh, that's a perfect little tale. Yeah, I I think that, to be clear, I want this. I think it would be good. I think it would be better for the story. I, I think it's good. I just am skeptical. I, I if I'm gonna have to, if I have to land on one way or another, I think I'm going with Aziz and saying I don't think it'll be season one. Don't worry. When I'm hired, I'm gonna push. It. <laughs> I'm gonna get it right in the show. And the other thing, the other reason to put in Blood Raven is there's a long-running conspiracy that he has been engineering the Targaryen line to make it so that certain people end up king. Now, if they want to lean into that, this is one of the primary things that people talk about. There's been some very simple things that, you know, he had been trying for a while to get Makar's line onto the throne because for some, I, I don't believe this one, but this is, this is a popular theory out there that he's been not only trying to get the Blackwoods in power, but maybe this is like a dream sort of thing where a prophetic thing where like Blood Raven of the future is looking back and trying to manipulate things. And I've heard some really crazy theories that's like, oh, well, he skin changed into Makar and he swung the mace to kill Baylor, and then he erased his memory. I swear, I'm not making this up. I, people have said this Someone to me else on Reddit and YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else made it up. But there's, there's definitely a real sense that because of his supernatural nature and the increased focus on dreams, especially in the Hedge Knight, that he should really represent a more supernatural angle to this, more than just being the spy master, more than just being the hand of the king, especially if they're going to tie this into more of the main Game of Thrones. You really want to start as they're ramping up this background supernatural stuff. That's him. And how much influence he has now versus how much he has later is definitely something they could try to connect. I agree. Well said. Good said, Joe mm-hmm. Magician. Uh, a little, a little bit another, another angle to the Bracken Blackwood stuff, although it's really more directly Bracken at this point. Of course, they're needing to be set up not just as their roles here, but their role in Aegon, the Unworthy's court was huge. They had a hand of the king, Bracken, and of course, the two different Bracken women that were lovers of the king, and the Brackens fought for Damon. 
there's the idea that they had been trying to take the throne for a while because they were trying to manipulate Aegon IV to set aside Daron. They were probably part of that. They were probably part of the Sir Morgul Hastwick accusation to they fought the Dragon Knight. You know, that was obviously Hastwick was a cat's paw. Someone willing to find the drag, fight the Dragon Knight's not an easy thing to do, but that guy was willing somehow. <laughs> but was it Bloodraven? Oh. Was Hastwick Bloodraven in disguise? <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. I think that happened in two, 174. I think that happened a year before Bloodraven was born, so probably not. <laughs> he can time travel, man. Oh, Don't worry right. about it. I forgot about the time travel. Of course he can do that. Yeah. <laughs> always, people always forget A Song of Ice and Fire is a time travel story. It <laughs> totally is. Yeah, it totally is. I totally forgot that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too much time has passed. So we agree. There's so <laughs> many ways for them to bring in this stuff. A shirt, a sigil shirt that would piss a lot of people off would be a, a Brackfire shirt. Brackfire. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> would hate it. Oh my God. That really Brackfire. Oh, can it be Brack? <laughs> Are there Bittersteel <laughs> fans? Yeah, Brack should be Brack I'm a Bittersteel yeah. fan. <laughs> I have a Bittersteel oh, no. shirt already. Uh, yeah, I gotta go. Do. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Aziz has a Bittersteel shield. I could bring it out. I have a sure hand shield. Yeah, Aziz has a huge Bittersteel shield. Uh-huh. It's because I'm so bitter. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to cancel you, Aziz. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've been canceled. I'm sorry, guys. Gotta go. Been canceled. now speaking of these other characters there's the way they're portrayed there's the way we give them the way there's the way we read them but the reality of them being cast it doesn't always quite work out the way we want or expect because of well there aren't an infinite number of actors who look the way we need them to look for (laughs) these roles so I'm curious how they're going to do some of these things. We all seem to agree, Joe Magician, we haven't heard you weigh in on this, but the three of us seem to agree that not only do we want Egg and Dunk to be unknowns, it seems likely because of cost and because they're going to be young. So it's just less likely they're established anyway. Because young folk, like what, it's less likely they have a big career, a big resume of, of acting already when you're young. Uh, a lot of people tend to do fan castings and they take, Famous people, because that's who they know. You don't know the random guy that's doing great on London's, like on the London stage or something like that. So a lot of these guys come out of nowhere, but that's sort of the nature of it. I tend to, I don't know, I I trust their casting department. They tend to do a good job, better than I would ever do. Although I will say, Ryan Cora's dunk. Like, <laughs> He did great as Harwin Strong, connect yeah, the Strongs and Dunk. Yeah. Much older, but when they recast it in 10 years for the yeah. continuation, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, with, again, I want to remind you all, even if they age him up, like let's say they age him up a little bit, but like in the books, Dunk starts the series, he's 16 or 17. Yeah. He's very young. He's a baby. Huge. He's huge, but he's a baby. Yeah, he'll probably be less uh, huge. So, in, yeah, uh, they might uh, make uh, him like 20 or 21 or something in the show version, but like he's still young, young. But even someone is 20 or 21, like you're saying, they right now, there aren't a lot of famous 20-year-olds. And even if they yeah. cast them right now, they're not going to start filming right now. It's, I'm guessing it, it's going to be months at least before they start casting, months after that before they start filming. Yeah. And you know, maybe they age dunk up to 20 or 21. Maybe they even cast an actor that's 25 that can pass for 21. But there still aren't a lot of famous seven foot tall 25 year olds you know <laughs> like i can't it's gonna be the a only challenge ones I know but i'm, I'm kind of with you joe I, yeah <laughs> my inclination is to trust them because i think they've done great in the past yeah. uh, with the casting uh, that said i do have a list of my dream casting in the document here. i can could i show you all how i think it will be cast i'm gonna put it on okay. the screen for everyone to see here we go <laughs> that's it five different henry cavills 
If yeah. you're not watching, if you're not watching. Henry Cavill is Duncan the Tall. Henry Cavill is Egg. Henry Cavill is Ryan Weber. Henry Cavill is Ben as the Brown Shield, and then old Henry Cavill as oh, Eustace Osgray. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, that Lady Rohan looks a little bit like you, that Henry Cavill. That's exactly what Naomi <laughs> said to me when I sent that to her. She was like, "I thought that was you first. And I was like, "I don't see it at all, but sure, thanks. That's nice. <laughs> I look just like Henry Cavill as a woman. I appreciate it." I guess. That Henry Cavill's so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's so hot. He's e- he even looks good as a Shea. It's amazing. <laughs> I just want to also like to like, share to that, the, the two of the egg and the Rohan was like, oh, congratulations on his transition. <laughs> that's she that's the real reason he left The Witcher. <laughs> but no, that is how I feel sometimes in the fandom when I hear Henry Cavill name. Yeah, I'm like, like, oh, he's wow. Egg on the Conqueror. Oh, he's Damon Blackfire. He's uh, Dunk. It's like, the, the the woman from the Viking show. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's her name? The, Everyone casts uh, her as Catherine Winnick. Catherine Winnick. It's like, Catherine Winnick. Yeah, Catherine Everyone Winnick. loves it's her like, as Visenya. Everyone loves that. You can dye people's hair. You don't have to pick the only people you know who are blonde. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, she's already blonde, though. You don't have no. <laughs> she's got a black belt. Emilio Clark looks a... nothing like Daenerys. No. <laughs> no. But now she is. So something that's a tried and true TV show method of getting a new show launched even if it's an established show, is you have someone who's going to die as a big name. There's countless examples of this. So, Baylor Breakspear could be an established actor. Like, that's someone, that could be Henry Cavill. <laughs> that's at least more appropriate for age. Because <laughs> that would be around the right age. Because Baylor's like 39. I think Henry Cavill's 36 Valor. or 37. Yeah, or Valar. Yes. Sir Arlen, someone who's already dead that you hear his voice in flashbacks. Arlen? Like, <laughs> Yeah, sir. <laughs> That's that was really... What if he dresses up as Gerald and shows up as Sir Arlen and he dies in his uniform? It's like, oh no, he was a witcher, but he was Sir Arlen too. In my my little list of dream casting, I feel I feel like they're probably not gonna get all these people, and some of them are pretty famous people. Let's hear but, your list. Man, I would love it. Yeah. But, but I still, I will say though, I have, I couldn't think of someone for Baylor. I couldn't think of someone like, that's Baylor. Like, it has to be incredible. I think it has to be. It's a tough you read your list, I'll say one thing. Yeah. Sean named Dan Stevens as an option for Baylor. And Dan Stevens was actually brought up in the chat as an idea, someone's a casting idea oh, cool. for Blood Raven. Wait, who so is that? That's, that's David Holler, Legion. That is Legion himself. He's also been in Down Abbey and he's been in other things. He's been in a million things. But to me, he will always be David Holler from Legion. That that is his iconic role. I have I literally have many posters of that in my line of sight off camera right now of him looking at his face right now. So I appreciated that, that it was brought up twice. But also I will I just want to say before Sean says any of these castings, I hate so many of them because they're all such big names. They're everything I hate about fan castings. But go ahead, Sean. Now that I have like disclaimed <laughs> that, that and said, do I do not, Give this a shot, I do not Sean. sign off on this, but like, you do you. They were mostly She's big names, which again, might be bad because they might carry this weight with them that doesn't fit yeah. the characters or takes people out of it. But maybe if there's enough, that wouldn't happen. I don't know. But but I was trying to think of people who would fit it well. I think Timothy Chalamet could do Daron. I think he's the right age, would look good in a blonde wig, and he's a great actor. D- Daron's not um, supposed to be blonde. Looks good in a blonde wig. By the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Everything. Because he's handsome as hell. So, well, 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 more on that in a minute. So about the hair thing. Yeah, I want to talk about hair Because that's in fact what they work through. Yeah. So Tim Roth could be Arlen. Mm-hmm. I thought he would fit that well. Okay. 
Dave Bautista could be the laughing storm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Brett Goldstein from, he's been a bunch of stuff at Ted Lasso right now. He could be Makar. He's a very like gruff, you know, sure stern, know. serious actor. And Phil Dunster, also from Ted Lasso, yeah. could be Arian because he's, he plays this like cocky, jerk, self-centered, you know, hotshot kind of guy. Tom Holland could be Raymond Fossaway. <laughs> Tom Hardy could be Roland Crackhall. Oh, okay, yeah. That's a bit small role uh, for him, but I'll, I'll, I'm a little shaky on this one, but I think that Anthony Starr might be a good Blood Raven as Homelander and the boys. He does a good job of like on the surface being this hero kind of like good guy, but but beneath that, there's this dark, menacing character. He's a potential. Also down the road, but Barry Keoghan, he's been in a bunch of stuff, including Chernobyl and Banshees of Innersion. He could be Glendon Ball. I will, okay, I will tell Glendon you, Ball. I think Barry would be a very good Glendon Ball in a lot of ways, other than that. So some physical aspects to Glendon Ball that like, I don't know. I care about him not. Barry is a little bit slimmer than I, I think of for Glendon, I, I suppose. Bulk up. Um, bulk, up. bulk up, I guess. And and Anthony Starr is a little bigger than I picture for a Blood Raven. I think so too. For, yeah. for that. Also, I don't think Blood Raven ever tries to seem as a good guy. He tries to yeah, be menacing yeah. at every opportunity. Yeah. Anthony Starr can do that. <laughs> fear. Yeah, he's a, he's, he wants to intimidate people. Uh, yeah, he likes that. He leans into it. But I was also thinking of someone who could pass Manor Plum too. And I, I don't oh, even yeah. know if Anthony Starr could do that, but mm. that's what something you need for that character. That's cool. Yeah, right on. I got one for Baylor. Yeah. Pedro Pascal, bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> bring Harry Lloyd back for yeah, Harry. Harry, really good. Harry Lloyd would be a good Aryan, but I think it'd be too confusing to viewers. Too. Yeah, I know. I, I, I do. That was one thing I wanted yeah. them to do for House of the Dragon was to reuse a lot of Game of Thrones actors. Bring them back. Yeah, Give them another job, yeah. especially for these one-off characters. You're never going to see History again. repeats itself. Cool. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Daron, so let's talk about Daron and, and a few things like okay, about can appearance. I, well, yeah, about appearance. Well, what I would like to point out for all of these castings, assuming they cast the Danes as non-white because they're trying to, you know, not cast people as white, as we were just talking about, they might want to lean into, hey, the Dornish. Again, they can go multiple Tencel, ways with the Dane. White, yeah. They have Tencel, but like, if they want to go that direction, literally, Makar's wife, Deanna Dane, is not white then. And then all of these kids should be mixed. We should be oh. looking at fan casts that are mixed race. Like, even when they look really white, they shouldn't just be white. Like, Daron and Egg, even like all of these kids, in my opinion, if I think strongly that they should lean that in. That would be a way to do it, for sure. And, like, yeah, yeah like we have only way. seen a few Danes, not enough that they can, they can not have, that they are stuck doing one or the other. Like, they could choose yeah. what they want to do. We've literally the seen zero, right? We have seen Arthur no, Dane. No Danes have showed up. We've seen Arthur Dane. saw Arthur? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm Joyce sorry. Scene, yeah. But like... He, I forgot. Arthur Dane wasn't... Like, he wasn't not white, but he also wasn't the whitest guy in the world either. You know like I mean? Like, when you look at him, it doesn't... And, and it's generations later, and there's other branches. Yeah. So I think that they should go the Valarian route ultimately, and say, hey, what what major houses can we write as being people of color? Oh, Dane makes perfect sense. And then, well, what's the butterfly effect of that? Well, that means that, like, the cascade effect means that, oh, well, now Egg is a little bit, like, like I don't have, know. Yeah, uh, doesn't yeah. have to look all the way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, that, and that, that, which leads us to the hair color discussion, I think. For example, they went with silver hair for Rhaenys in House of the Dragon, where in the book, she's got black hair to be Baratheon. Now, that was... Also, she's a little older, so arguably they were just, just trying to keep it simple. Here, though, I don't know if they should keep it simple because it's it actually matters because part of the prejudice against Baylor's side of the family is that they look Dornish, and the people and a lot of people don't like the Dornish. When Kristen Cole took his helmet off, Allison immediately recognized him as Dornish. Like, oh my God, he's Dornish. Like, 
from his appearance. Mm. She knew it wasn't from his name. It was that guy looks Dornish. He's Dornish. So there is a, they've already laid yeah. the groundwork of being a distinct, like Dornish people have a look. I guess that's a good point too, that like if they are specifically trying to emphasize the difference between the Martells and Danes, that that would be a point to make, okay, well, all the kids of, of Mariah Martell Yes, that's still the same thing that those are mixed race, but that if we're trying to show the xenophobia and racism of it, that like you, then then the Danes should be the white Dornish in that, in that, like if you're trying to lean into mm. that, then egg wouldn't be like, that's a good counterpoint okay. for my, but still the, the point remains that some Stony? of the cards, yes, Stony Dornish, the white Dornish, yeah, Stony Dornish, Dornish versus Sandy, um, which mm-hmm. is what, and Salty as well, that the three types but yeah, I think that's a like. Still, the point remains that there would be mixed race Targaryens. Yeah, like but yeah, Baylor's with that black hair. Sure. Yeah, I mean, with a yeah. little silver streak or whatever, and but still have the purple eyes, and so is like and, Valar too. And yeah, and Valar, Valar has a longer, like a, has a dark star thing going. I think his, his silver streak is bigger. Mm. And Bittersteel has dark hair, not black. I think it's brown. And like we said before, before Daron doesn't have blonde hair. He has he has sandy brown. Like his hair is mm-hmm. like normal brown, like, like a muddy brown. brown. Like yeah, so. They right. might go. They might go black just to keep it simpler, but still have a different hair color. So, like some of them have black hair, some of them have the standard Targaryen. So, rather than a whole variety, there's just two, <laughs> you know, silver or black. We also have no idea what Ray and Daella look like. Yeah, we don't. We have no idea. Yeah, so yeah, that could with, be that could yeah. be interesting. But yeah, with Dane mother, and they're important too because that's how we get the Targaryen blood in, in Stannis and Robert Egg's children. That's that's the connection there. Very important. Someone like Arian, you would think he would look very Targaryen. He's supposed to. There's no reason to think they would do that differently other than this possible Dane heritage that they may decide to, to fiddle with. I wonder, yeah, like I wonder if he'll be a long-haired or medium-haired Targaryen. He's supposed to have long hair. They might keep that, but uh, yeah. maybe they'll change it for some reason. I feel I, like they're going to really I lean into his it. Targaryen-ness, Arians. I would love it if Arian actually didn't have platinum blonde hair, but he dyed it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. That's clever. That he's so into being a Targaryen. He's like, I'm nothing like my Dornish past. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be such an Arian thing to do. They they haven't been doing the eye color for anyone. So I think that's just still off the table. They probably just won't bother with that. Like they're, they're, we're, we're well past that. Like no one has purple eyes. So <laughs> that's just. So that. let me ask, because I, I thought quite a bit about this, whether or not I was thinking more about Baylor, and, and I wasn't thinking about how like emphasizing his, the Danish background could open up more casting choices and put another element of social prejudices into the show which I think it would be good and interesting for them to do. And maybe with six episodes, that's part of what they could do. But my default thought was just for the average person watching a show, they just are going to make all the Targaryens be silver-haired. I, that, that's, that's my default assumption. I think it's not unlikely. They don't want to confuse the audience. I think it's not so. unlikely. Yeah, I think that there's a very good chance yeah. they just do that. Yeah, they're just like, screw it. They're all silver-haired and that'll keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would begrudge them if they did that. I don't yeah. think I want that, but I almost... I think it would be better for the show in a way. So I kind of expect them to. I bet there's been, if they're, ha- if they're not coming, they've already, they've had these debates like in the back of the production. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do with these hair yeah. colors? Like, I think how if they do, chose yeah. to keep it all silver haired, then they would lean harder into the them skin being color darker thing. skin. Agree. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what they did with Valarian. Yeah. You're totally yeah. right. Like that so was, because like, it was almost like a substitute for the purple eyes because they don't have that. Yeah. So a skin color is a lot more obvious <laughs> than eye color. It's pretty hard to see eye color from an, Distance, like hey, if they can find a way to cast Donald Glover, I'm all about it. <laughs> Donald Glover, heck yeah, he's a, no, he's a Glover. Uh, yeah. He asked, oh, well, okay. he could, yeah, I mean, he could still be 
I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like picturing Donald Glover. It's like, what is he a Baylor Breakspear? Who are you picturing him at? Like, blood Raven. Make him Blood Raven. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we don't like. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've seen some Blackwoods, but yeah, I, I, that is, I you can't help but also think about like when they talked about how they chose to make the Valarians black. They said they they talked about other houses. Like, what if they did it for oh. Hightower? Or what if they like they didn't mm. jump to that's the one for sure. They talked about it. Valarians thought about, fit really well. It, it fit really sense. well. But yeah, the idea that if they did that to another house, what house they could do it to, I think ultimately, like we like with like I don't think they could do it with Brack and Blackwood because there's too much we've seen of them. Yeah, and well, they'll be hamstrung by the casting they're doing now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. I'm also just thinking. This is this is kind of unrelated, but as a Reddit mod for A Song of Ice and Fire, just hearing this conversation is giving me just like war flashbacks from the Valarian conversation. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Must Am I not looking forward to those flame wars? Yeah. Uh, the, so many people the groundwork just is laid. They're losing their minds over that one. Jeez, y'all. Yeah. It's so woke. Right, <laughs> yes. Let's let's talk a little bit about some actual dreams and how some of these might manifest. We've talked about how other cinematic moments and, and ob- obviously off and on, the dreams have come up quite a bit, but let's try to focus on it a little bit for our this being our last section of the episode. So a big difference in moving to TV, as always, is the shift away from POV style. So just that just presents things in a different way. And with dreams, that's particularly important because dreams are always difficult to show. You're, you're kind of showing directly someone's POV if you're showing a dream. Like that's really is about as in their head as you ever get in a TV show is showing someone's dreams unless there's a narrator speaking their inner monologue, which, as we've said, is possible for this, but there's no reason to assume it will happen. But what if they do? If they do have that as a dream thing, like someone talking over something like that or like a narrator, it would be odd to have a narrator considering George doesn't, had so many things away from narrator, but they could do a little bit of narration like they did at House, beginning of the House of Dragon. That was mm-hmm. like three paragraphs of narration. Something like that could happen. And of course, Song of Ice and Fire is, is POV based. You hear the characters' thoughts all the time. That's been one of the things that kind of made their writing a lot harder, especially for characters who are so inside their own heads, like Jon Snow, where it's like people just sort of think of Jon in the show as... A, just sort of a glum guy who's always looking very stern, but you read his internal POV, and of course he has a rich inner life, but he can't. You can't show that because that's not how John portrays himself, and that could be a really good thing for the Hedge Knight because Dunk, even though he's thick as a castle wall and he's Dunk the Lunk, I mean he does have. He adds a lot to the story about what he's thinking about, what he's paying attention to, and also George uses a lot of dramatic irony by hiding things behind Dunk's ignorance. Mm. And, and Dunk is also could, sharper than he gives him credit for. There's a difference between being yeah. ignorant and being unintelligent. Yeah, he's right. naive. Exactly. He's yeah, no, I, mean, I, 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 I mean, I think narration, inner monologue, I think hearing Dunk's thoughts would be better. Might be. It might be. I mean, I'm sure they're looking ahead at all the things he's done and for all the reason, challenges yeah. and being like, well, because it's once they commit to it, they might. I mean, they could back out of it. There's lots of shows that started with a narration and then changed their mind. Like, what's that show? Uh, Fresh Off the Boat. They had the main character, Eddie, the the actual character was based on the actual person that this young version was based on was the narrator for his inner thoughts, but they dropped it after season one. The show went six seasons, but they only did his narration mm. for the first season. They decided they didn't like it or it wasn't working or I don't know. I don't know why, but they they dropped it. So it's not like it isn't necessarily something they're stuck with if they decide to do it. But huh. I'm sure they would rather not change midstream. Can I say something in the chat where people were talking about like place. We're still people were still on talking about opportunities for more diversity and casting and all that. And LOL Latov said, Lolotov said, Steely Pate from Yee T. And just the general idea of like, 
blacksmith, like the idea, like that is one good role. Like we were just talking about, you know, cohort and like their, their, and all that. So like, I'm just thinking about their different technologies. So anyways, didn't think about that. I really like the idea. Well, yeah, that's that's part part of what I was getting at with talking about how the market could be really exciting. There's a lot of opportunity for showing non-Westerosi stuff. Great example. Some armor. Yeah. Stately Pate could be some other name. Yeah, maybe not Pate. Change his name from Pate to whatever <laughs> ET would be. I don't know. <laughs> Steely Mysaria. <laughs> yeah. uh, but for the, the Dream POV thing, actually, I was thinking about this when I was writing my pages and pages of notes for this. And Asher, you brought it up. I think Legion, the mm. show, would be a really good thing they could lean on for... That show had a very interesting visual style for how they showed Legion's inner life and yeah. the dreams and how... I was all interacting. If they really leaned to that part to show it, that'd be a lot more interesting. They tried it with Bran once. They showed us his dreams. And it was just a series of flashes that were basically incomprehensible, which makes sense. But if you want it to be more narrative, then copying from Legion would be a good start. Legion was very creative in how it presented a lot of aspects, of, but including like stuff in people's minds and yeah, dreams and, and like, stuff. And, 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 and false memories. False memories, and, yeah. And not, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The misinterpretation, the changing of meanings, the visualizations constantly flipping back and forth. Like they did a really good job with that. And it really, I think that would work for George's conception of prophetic dreams, especially like seeing Daron's mm-hmm. dreams and having it be like that. Oh, that'd be perfect. That's a great idea. Yeah. And they, and, and for just imagining how they could tie this into the way Aegon's dream was described to us in House of the Dragon, just a little bit of that to connect mm. that dot. It doesn't need, to, doesn't need to go too deep with that, but just something to, tie the dreams from this era to the dreams of that era to the dreams of Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones. Yeah. Also, real quickly, I get a ton of comments on my dream videos of people like, why couldn't they understand it? Why didn't they just know what it meant? And it's like, because they don't show it correctly. They show the person saying it, that you really need to see what they're seeing for the point to get through that these are super uncertain. Yeah, their interpretation of the dream is not necessarily correct. They may have just, I thought that yeah. was a raven. It's like, just oh, images. A raven? That was a, it was a Rorschach blot. It was a, yeah, it was an ink blot. <laughs> you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was a crow, not a raven. Are you kidding me? Those are so different. Yeah. <laughs> Dreams and flashbacks, exactly. establishing that as a thing would enable them to not show certain things, which would be telling. Like if Dunk has no memory of being knighted, if there's no flashback of that, <laughs> then that would be kind of a way of showing that it didn't happen. You know, assuming it didn't happen, which I'm, you know, uh, that leeway is purely for Sean's benefit. Uh, (laughs) Literally Sean and Sean alone. (laughs) So like if you show, like if you were to have, if he has a memory of being dubbed by Sir Alan, it's like, well, that tears it. He was knighted unless it's a false memory. That'd be kind of a weird thing to do. But it would really fool the audience in the opposite direction of the way the books tend to push us. I would really like it if they if they showed Arlen lifting his sword and then cutting <laughs> before you actually see uh, any of it. So the audience will draw the inference that he got knighted, but you never see it. The old, there's no body there. The nobody's dead. If you didn't see the knighting, did it happen? Yeah, was that actually I, Dunk about to be knighted or was he knighting someone else? <laughs> I do like the idea that Dunk really was knighted or at least that he believes he was. Maybe Arlen did it wrong or some ceremonial factor that made it not count in some technical way or maybe even Dunk kind of knows that, but it was close enough that he can accept it. But one way or the other, I like that it's ambiguous. I, I think George is clearly making ambiguous whether it happened or not. And I hope the show does that too. I, I would be disappointed, I think, 
I would feel a bit of justification for sure, but still be disappointed if they actually showed him be knighted by our own. <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking about other dreams and things that might come up, like if they want to set up the long term, they could have Egg having some sort of dream. They could have him having a wildfire dream or something just early on to get that going, just to plant that seed. Remember that? Remember the quote we started the episode with? Eamon said, the dreams of dragons killed his brothers. Like he clearly wasn't being completely literal. I mean, this isn't like Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, Elm Street, Dunk's tree is an elm. <laughs> See what you did there. Because Dar- Daron died of an STI and Arian died from drinking wildfire, not dreaming about it. And Egg died of burning of wildfire during the destruction of mm-hmm. Summerall, something like that. But it's the dreams of dragons that caused them to act the way they did. And alcohol, right. like <laughs> alcohol in Arian's case directly because he was drunk when he drank wildfire and Darren was an alcoholic because of his dreams tormenting him and he was trying to block them out or what have you. So that is a big deal. That's a huge thing for them to develop these characters and show how these different Targaryens are dealing with this burden of the dragons being gone and how it wasn't that long ago and how things like the Blackfire Rebellion happened because the one side didn't have dragons to prevent that sort of thing from happening in the first place. You're a lot less likely to rebel when you don't have dragons than they do, put it that way. So there's a lot of ways for them to set this up and and to tie it into what Eamon has said without them being literal dreams. But the literal dreams are there too, right? We have to have that element, like what's pushing them to do these things that later causes their deaths. So I think no better time than the start when we actually have all those characters. Because in the second story, there's no Daron, there's no Arian, they're not there. They're not in the third one either. Right, they're doing their own things. Arian gets exiled. So it's almost like they have to do this now unless they make substantial, maybe they won't be as substantial as I think because you can show scenes elsewhere. I don't know. You can have Arian and you can show scenes of oh, Arian. John the Fiddler has the same stuff. Yeah, John the Fiddler has dreams as well. So there's, that can all tie together. But, but you can see my point here that they're, it's k- kicking off the series. They want to inspire people to think ahead about it. They want to connect the dots. And it'd be hard to do that later when these characters aren't even in the second and third seasons probably. Yeah, for sure. I hadn't even thought about that too much. That is a good point that some of these things we might want to see set up or followed up on, they're not going to be in the second story. So like, even if they did like give us Blood Raven in the first season and the second season came out one year later and the third season came out one year later, that's still two years of some, you know, I I was thinking maybe they introduced him as Maynard Plum, but that's still asking the audience a lot. To remember that some random background character in disguise is actually the hand of the king that's showing up now, which makes me wonder if, and, and maybe another reason why George might get writing credit, if they too, if they do intend to have other storylines thread throughout the novels as we know them, mm-hmm. if they have some long-term plan for Blood Raven or Travels of Dorne or something else, permeate all the stories. Maybe it does jump around a little bit more like Game of Thrones, where we do get King's Landing glimpses at the same time that we follow Dunk, you know? Here's a quote from the Mystery Knight that is particularly relevant that ties into all this and and maybe gives us a little more to work with. Someday the dragons will return. My brother Daron's dreamed of it, and King Aerys read it in a prophecy. Maybe it will be my egg that hatches. That would be splendid. And of course, Dunk's like, would it? Mm, <laughs> it's boy. like he's down Yikes. for it. So Dunk's like, hey, man. <laughs> the way this <laughs> the is written... Are bad. Yeah. The way this is written is part of why I'm pretty confident that Egg's dreams aren't prophetic because he's like, his brothers dreamed of it. The others eventually have dreams of dragons. That doesn't mean, again, t- touching back on what I said earlier, that doesn't mean that they're prophetic. Only Daron's are confirmed prophetic. 
But Ed could have had them later in life. This is early on. Like we see how mm-hmm. Aries' insanity built over time. And, you know, I'm not saying Ed goes insane, but he certainly makes some odd decisions and that may argue for some insanity. So that might want to be, they might want to set that up too. Maybe something he says, maybe he says a line that reminds us of Aries, something like that. We're like, whoa, that's startling. And Or Viserys. Viserys is one dream. Yeah, he has that one or something like that. Or, or maybe he's trying, maybe he does something like Viserys where he's like, is this prophetic? Like he's questioning himself. Mm, on, and he wants it to be because Daron has mm-hmm. them. Because mm, he does want it to be. You're right. Like this is clearly, he does want it to happen. He's like, he saw it in a prophecy. You know, wouldn't that be splendid? You know, so yeah, he's, he's all for it. Something that's really interesting they might try to tackle here is why? Are there so much dragon dreaming going on in this era? This is kind of a low magic era. There's no dragons, but there's a lot of dreaming and a lot of dreaming of dragons. Specifically, we got John the Fiddler. We got Blood Raven. We've got Daron the Drunkard, maybe other characters. That's a lot. I mean, and... Maybe it's because there aren't dragons that there are dragon dreams. Absolutely, which is exactly what I'm getting at. Like, maybe they'll talk about that. Danny has them. Yeah, yeah. So there'll be evidence of, or suggestion of that being the reason, potentially. Like, it's the fact that they're gone is a reason why they're dreaming of them more. And also, it might be that we just are more aware of it because we're getting these stories. Other yeah, time periods sure. might have also had more dragon dreams, but but maybe George is giving us these stories because they take place at the time when the dragon dreams are there. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a mix of cause and effect. And touching on another topic we raised earlier, why is wildfire such a common element to these dreams? Are they dreaming of Ares in the future? Are they dreaming of Daenerys and somehow combining that, mm-hmm. crossing the stream somehow? Why does Arian and Egg and others like Ares in the future, get obsessed with wildfire. Why did they insert it in place of dragonfire as like an ingredient here? What leads them to that decision? Is it visions? Is it something written? That's something they can tackle, maybe not in the Hedge Knight, but maybe start to tackle it in the Hedge Knight as they build it up. They can at least least approach it, but the the source of them is really hard to figure out. Like, why are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Are they even real? Are they being sent by Blood Raven? Are they being sent by Bran? Like the fact that they seem to be untethered from the existence of dragons again leads you to the idea of like George, what you doing with these, buddy? Where <laughs> where do you think these are coming from? And in particular, the the wildfire idea. Bookshelf stud years ago came up with a really good idea that I based my fires and blood video on the echo, the ripples in the dreamscape idea, which he basically perceives time, which George has used this metaphor as well, as like a river or an ocean. And as one thing happens, it can go backwards, and people can perceive it. And that may be what's going on here, that Dan- Danny's hatching of the dragons is so important that all of her family sees it. It ends up being such a critical moment in time, that kind of thing. But also, when you're talking about like where they come from and who exactly has them, the one thing I've, I've thought about in the past is that he's using these to inform all the other errors that he hasn't written about. Because you can find patterns in characters like Daron, patterns in characters like Ares and Arion, Look at the other Targaryen monarchs. It's like they're all doing the same thing. It's just they weren't recorded, and that's what that was one of the arguments about, like why Viserys's dream was prob- was, I think, probably true in the books as well. And Aegon's dream. It's like they don't tell people about these things; they keep them to themselves. But you can always see how they're reacting to things that don't really seem to be there, mm. and that seems to be one of the primary focuses of Duncan Egg as a series. That George is really using it as a showcase for the dreams and how they how they impact the Targaryens. I mean, if you look at the inciting events, the Mystery Knight and the Hedge Knight are both caused by dreams. Mm-hmm. Daron running away from 
his dream about Ashford Meadow is what causes the whole thing. John the Fiddler, aka Damon the Second, his dreams of his brothers dying and him and egg hatching at White Walls and seeing Dunk is what causes him to launch the rebellion. Even Dunk in The Sworn Sword, he has quite a lot of very vivid dreams, particularly about people he knows dying in the sands and burying people. And those motivate him to do what he does in the rest of the story. So it's one of those things where it is a low concept story. It's a, a knight and a, his squire running around going to tourneys and fighting little battles. But it's also very high concept of getting at the heart of House Targaryen and the relationship to the supernatural. I think that's really undersold. And I think that's something they should push way harder. And I hope that's one of the retcons they do. Good said. Yeah. It's like this central plot that we're following is relatively simple. But all the backdrop, all the motivation, all the symbolism, the dreams, this simple plot is a good vehicle for all this other stuff, George, all these other stories that George wants to tell. And he hides it behind Dunk not understanding it. And that's one of the keys to it. Thought I had was that the dragonfly is really important. Dunk, or very early on in the story, looks at the dragonfly and watches it and thinks about it. Leads him to think about dragons, and they don't. It's like, well, dragonflies don't even look like dragons. And then he thinks about this and that. Now that's super important because, of course, eventually Egg will name his firstborn Duncan, who will go on to be nicknamed Duncan the Small Prince of Dragonflies. And that, of course, has to be set up here. Like, I don't think they can wait for that. I think it's too important for the beginning. So that's really important to set up. It actually leads him to thinking about Sir Arlen and the Last Dragon, who had seen the Last Dragon and told him about it, which, of course, is important to bringing the dragons back and that whole conversation. That refers as well to the end of the Hedge Knight, which talks about how, well, how could you know, my foot be more important than a prince's life? Or how could you know, me, this Hedge Knight, how could you know, maybe I'm a character, the way you write here in our document, Joe, a, a character of great destiny. <laughs> Yes, very much so. There have been people that have suggested that his boot does save the Targaryen dynasty, that it's his boot in a door at Summerhall that allows Rhaegar and Rhaella to escape the flames. That it's it's Dunk that saves the world, basically. Nice. By saving it from Egg and the uh, the dreams of wildfire. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, he did save... It was his, his heroics are certainly attested to there. And saving the children and the few people that lived, that... There's not many other options for what heroism he could have performed there other than saving people. And those are the people who were saved. Yeah. And as Oh, quickly, as you talked about, also Dunk expressing misgivings early on in the mystery night, like, hey, Egg, dragons ain't cool. Like, maybe you shouldn't want those to come back. That, that could definitely be foreshadowing that Egg doesn't let Dunk know what he's planning to do at Summerhall. That, it go, mm. that that's the reason it gets out of control, that Dunk goes like, what are you doing? What are you, are you trying to climb onto a wildfire or is he trying to shove Rayella onto it to sacrifice Rhaegar? Mm. Much like Ray Go, like seeing Danny's, Danny's pyre thing coming back into play and Dunk being a good person leaps in, disrupts it, saves Rayella and Rhaegar, but kills himself and egg by mistake. And that could and be the prevents kind of the dragons from really coming well. back. <laughs> yes, that too. It would have worked if it wasn't that grotesque dunk. That meddling kid. Yeah. <laughs> but ends up saving the world. And that, I think that's one of the primary things that George is probably struggling with with Duncan Egg as he goes into it. He hasn't really defined why Dunk. And he usually does. Like, is he a secret prince? Does he have a super oh. secret bloodline somewhere? He loves to do that stuff. And I think that's why Dunk is such a character of destiny, is something that he's probably trying to weave in and having trouble with because the rest of these stories sound good as they are. She Wolves of Winterfell, a 
political like hodgepodge going on at Winterfell sounds great. Like the village hero fighting between two sides at a village. Cool. Being a sellsword. Awesome. But like he's really working on the dreams and why dunk. I think that's the core of it. Yeah. And maybe, the, maybe that'll be his, his addition. I like yeah. Dunk being closer to like Stannis. He's just alongside other characters of Destiny. And even if he is a character of Destiny himself, it's not because of some secret bloodline. It's just because he's a good pers- person pursuing good uh, yeah. achievement and got mixed up in it all. You yeah, know? Exactly. I don't think Davos... That's what I like. Davos isn't a character of Destiny because of anything to do with him. He just, yeah, is surrounded. He surrounds himself with those people. And Dunk is the Davos to me. <laughs> Davos... Dunkos. <laughs> you say that. Davos is going to end up being a Targaryen bastard. You just know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, did, I, guess, does, I guess I could say I did not see his worth then. <laughs> Dunk Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> Another fun thing, we'll be seeing classics that are often present. Like we'll hear the Bear and the Maiden Fair get sung. It's it's a song that's hundreds of years old at least. So we, we should get to hear, hear that one out of place. Mm. Though Jenny of Old Stones will not have been written yet, nor the Reigns of Castamere. Those haven't been written yet. So those shouldn't be appearing. But the puppet show in The Hedge Knight includes Nymeria. So maybe we'll get another nod to Nymeria. We more already got song, one in House of the Dragon. Yeah. Multiples in House of the Dragon. And now... Yeah. We, we could get... It'd be interesting if we got more of the song or heard the song again. Because if we're talking about T, she wrote that song for, yeah. for House of the Dragon. So. Maybe that could still be... Um, yeah, or maybe she'll song. write another song for Dunkin' Egg if she writes on that too. That would be so cool. Um, actually. And everyone, get, tell Aziz to record... The Nymeria song. We have the rest of the lyrics to the <laughs> Nymeria song. Like she sent it to us, and Aziz just needs to record a little a little clip of him singing it, and we could release it. Yes, but there's more lyrics that aren't aren't released. Yeah, the the full song was written, but only a little bit of it made it on TV. So yeah, yeah T gave us the rest Saying. of the lyrics. Anyways, that's just, yes. Just if you just encourage me, I'm more fire under to do him it. on it. <laughs> did she do Damon's song as well? The one he sings. Yeah, the she, she she did, but then. Then Ooh. David J. Peterson translated it, and then like they, they went back. And forth. It was like it was till together. They right, did she it. wrote the actual the the English lyrics. She wrote he had those. to change some of yeah. them because it didn't work. Like the meter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up it, it, it was okay. a collaborative effort, but yeah. th- it started with her essentially doing yeah. that. Yes. Um, T release an album already. <laughs> <laughs> T album. That's awesome. <laughs> Kirsty Ooh, the T of House of the Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> T is for Targaryen. Okay, let's have the answer to our trivia question. The question was, in the Blackfire Rebellions, Quentin Ball slew the sons of Lady Penrose, minus the youngest whom he spared, apparently as a kindness to her. It's odd to call that a kindness, but hey. Someone in A Feast for Crows does nearly the same thing, slaying seven out of nine sons of one of this particular house. The answer to the question of who the warrior here is wielding Valyrian steel, it's Harris Harlaw, Sir Harris Harlaw, a knight amongst the Ironborn, which is rare, wielding the Valyrian steel blade at nightfall. And the house he did this to is House Grimm. He became the new Lord of Grimstone, or of, of Castle Grimm, and of course is soon to be ejected from that seat as Euron has made him a bit of bait for the Reach there. And he took the bait. That's that. Hope you all got that question right. If not, there'll be another one next time. So Joe Magician, thanks for coming. This is an awesome discussion. We had a nice lengthy chat. Your takes were excellent as always. What is on tap for you? Where can people find you? Of course, your channel. Joe Magician is the name of your YouTube <laughs> channel. But I want to tell people what you're working on or anything else you want to shout out or say. Have at it. Yeah, sure. I've been working on a video since October on and off. 
It's about Boros Baratheon and what exactly happened and why he's being such a total dick at Storm's End, <laughs> why he sends out Jace to die. Kind of a, a deep dive on the relationship between the Targaryens and the Baratheons and how it's much more than just him being a jerk. He is a jerk, but there's a lot more that was sort of missed by the Blacks in terms of what ended up happening there. So that's the next... I have that recording and everything. There was a... I talked... This came up during a previous stream. I upgraded my computer and I accidentally wiped the hard drive I shouldn't have. And I lost <laughs> everything. I lost thousands upon thousands of images I had amassed mm. to make my videos. And also like the history Ouch. and lore stuff. It's, I lost all of that. So I've been, I've been trying to recover not that stuff, but recreate it. And so that video is coming. Obviously, the CK3 one I was talking about of them is going to be about fan fiction and theory crafting, more of a meta discussion oh. about the relationship between them and especially in our fandom about how they, they sort of overlap a little bit. That's, I think that's there are some one. very interesting scholarship articles on, on the difference, on the gender difference between fan exactly. fiction, theory crafting, Reddit, fan fiction, and Tumblr, like fan fiction. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot there, but yeah, it's very split gender wise. People write theories as if they aren't just writing really, really bad fan fiction. And that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm more power to you, you for have that. Have you been reading my outline? I mean, it's just, it's just very, very... Did you get access to my Google Drive? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Like, no, um, just own it. Just like, no, I'm writing a fix-it fanfic. Like, just say it then, <laughs> if that's what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> they're writing fan fiction. Well, some people are writing fan fiction without writing dialogue. Basically. Yeah, that's it. They're um, just doing easy fan fiction with no like real emotion or pain. Like they're not doing good, anything good. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you though. I'm with uh, you. Another one is talking about how I have read The Winds of Winter and I'm going to make a video about it. <laughs> Nobody else has, just me. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Don't worry oh, about God. that one. I have seen it. I have okay, read it. Sure. It's actually on the... It's your fan you, fiction. You is that what shelves, this is? It's... Is your fan fiction <laughs> that you're sharing? No, I have read the real thing. I have read The Winds of Winter. <laughs> it's just not The Winds so, of Winter by George R. R. Martin. It's, I forget where it is. Yeah. It's somewhere on these shelves behind me. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a whole video. And then obviously we're going to do a lot more of going to season two of House of the Dragon, talking more about the Blackwoods and Brackens like we talked about today. There's a reason I wrote like an entire page of notes about how I'm interested in that stuff. They're going to be coming up in a big way. Some more introductions to different characters, you know, season two prep, that kind of stuff. That'll be coming. I'm not sure about streams when those will be coming back. Maybe in the future, maybe like in response to videos, but I have been enjoying having my Saturdays back. <laughs> <laughs> When CK3 Especially is when, more stable, when, we could do multiplayer when the when it's out of beta. I mean, yeah, CK3 cool. is, is probably more of a possibility than just like picking a random topic and talking for three hours like I normally do. <laughs> but yeah, and there's there's a whole bunch of other... I have a whole... Like George with Duncan Egg and he has 12 stories he's going to write. I have like 13 videos worth of titles that I want to make. Mm -hmm. Once the first one gets off the ground, probably the other ones will come shortly. That's usually how it goes with me. Right yeah, on. that makes sense. We look forward to that. Best wishes on your creative process and getting that done. <laughs> yeah, we know it's difficult. Such an idiot. It can be so difficult. I suck. That sounds <laughs> I really painful. destroyed to, my process. all that stuff. Man, no, that sounds, I know. That's it, a big it ouch. Yeah. Ouch, ouch. At least you're you're coming. You're you're starting it over again with more perspective and yeah, skills. I mean, so. yeah, there's, there's no, try to find some silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> I'm labeling them better so I can find them. Yeah, exactly. Like which characters yeah. in each picture? That kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, you 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 have a be you'll have a better catalog, a better workflow after this. Like you will, it'll be mm -hmm. better. Right on. You know. oh. It just hurts. I it know. just hurts. It, it hurts. does. <laughs> it does. I understand. I, there's. I mean, I, there's a reason. I am like. 
obsessive about my backups. I do have like backups on backups on different hard drives. Not to like, I, I, because I'm terrified of that exact thing, like of me messing up and deleting all of our like stuff. Be like me is the message. <laughs> Be like Shea, <laughs> not like Joe Magician. <laughs> Shea is always the best. <laughs> Other episodes y'all can tune into from our back catalog that contain related topics to this one. Duncan Egg, of course. That's an obvious one. All for each of our podcasts on the short stories are four episodes in length and one to wrap it all up. We have a long series on the Blackfire Rebellions, of course. We have recent episodes on Aim and the Dragon Knight that come right before this era. We have the Summer Hall episodes. We have two of those. We have the Trouble with Attorneys episode that Sean mentioned. That's an important one that relates to a lot of the stuff happening here. Our interview with George R. Martin is relevant. We had a lot of stuff that comes up that's, that's relevant here as well about his process and some other specific details. I think the Summer Hall episodes are extra good out of the ones that Aziz named. I think those particularly changed my perspective on Aries. Right on. Thanks for that. Yeah, I think we... I'm particularly proud of those as well. They're some of our older ones, but yeah, those are maybe some of our best work of scripted episodes. I mean, I, I just legitimately think of, I really think of Ares very differently than I did before those episodes. Like I'm much more tortured and like, I think yeah, I, I, I did it at a young age and yeah. And yeah. It was like, it just says really a lot about why wildfire was such an important thing to him. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, check those out if you haven't. That's my, like my plug for out of, out of, I mean, obviously, you know, other, all the, all, I think all of our episodes are great, but I, <laughs> I felt like I learned more about the series after those. I rewatched our first Duncan Egg reread episode. I think there's a dozen or so of them all together, but there was a particular highlight moment right at the end of that episode, if you remember. It's when I just got my kittens. Oh. Cora, Cora leapt to the camera yeah. as you turned the stream off. It was like this perfect time. Oh, that's oh, wow. right. I forgot about that. Oh, that's baby. Great. That's nice. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for coming. Thanks in particular to Joe Magician for coming to hang out with us for a few hours today, giving us his great thoughts. Thanks to all you who attended live. Uh, that was a lot of fun hearing your comments. If you want to weigh in on any of the questions I asked during this episode and you didn't get a chance to do so live, you can join us on one of our many outlets on social media. We've got a Discord. We've got a Facebook group. You can hit us up on Twitter if you like. Any of those things work. Or you can send us an email at westrushhistory at gmail.com. You can also sign up to be a supporter at patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. Or sign up through Spotify. If you already have a Spotify subscription, you can just add a monthly subscription on top of that. There's a link in the description of every episode. Thanks as well to Joey, Jesse, and Bran for our intro and outro music and video stuff. Michael Klarfeld as well for the video intro and all his awesome maps. Thanks to our Benjineer for the audio work. And we will see you all in a couple of weeks for more. You know what to do in the meantime. Valar, we meet us. <laughs> <laughs>